episode of Real Talk. It's a show that I normally do with my editor and co-host John Bristol, but every once in a while we like to have a guest host and today is a special occasion <laughs> because I am a child of the 70s. I love the movies of the 70s and I was talking to my friend Cam Sully over here and I hey, said buddy. I would love to talk about not only the movies of the 70s, but two specifically. Two of my favorite movies growing up, and they're still my favorite movies now that I am grown up, are The Deep, written by Peter Benchley, who also wrote Jaws, and That's right. um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, written and directed by the great Steven Spielberg. So without further ado, I want to introduce my guest host, Cam Sully. How are you? Hey, buddy. Thank you so much. This, I'm just looking forward to this. It's like... Uh, no shortage of collaborations here. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've been on your show. On your show, we talked about Escape from New York, another great movie of the 70s. Yeah, the Snake Plissken uh, saga. And it was just very eye-opening to see just how just so many movies just aged like a fine wine. Yeah. You know what's funny? Like, uh, I, I brought this up in several other shows, and I, I still say it holds true now. Gene Siskel... For the younger viewers, he was a movie critic that's no longer around. He used to be Siskel and Ebert. He made a great comment. He said, the last great movie was written in the 70s. And Roger Ebert said, what do you mean? He goes, back then there was no such thing as CGI. So directors and writers had to rely on character development and they had to rely on a good story. They didn't have to rely on like, let's see how many explosions we can get in this movie. Let's see how many um, action adventure scenes. It was more about like character development. And I think the movies we're going to talk about has a lot of both. I think it's, they have a lot of adventure, but also the character development is great. I love the story of with a uh, Roy Neary, who's uh, played by Richard Dreyfus, where he just he gets all these. He's, he has a close encounter of the third kind, which is he sees a UFO mm -hmm. and then slowly thinks he's losing his mind. But really, they're giving him clues where they're going to be so he can be there to meet them. Right. And um, the deep is the same thing. It's like it's, it starts off as a great action movie but there's such a great chemistry between Jacqueline Bissett and Nick Nolte and they um there's they they're diving on the wreck of a ship and they discover some not only gold but they also discover um little ampules of morphine and then of course the right. drug dealers come in and they're uh there's Robert Shaw who was known well he was very popular back then but he just got out of the movie Jaws he played Quint then he was also in another great movie which was 1976 called Black Sunday that was another great movie but yeah three of them great great character development they played off each other very well and before we get into these movies I want to talk about the top 10 movies of 1977 these movies are probably the top 10 of all time for somebody's list but this is just one year number one was Star Wars Number two was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Number three, Saturday Night Fever. Number four was Smokey and the Bandit. Number five was The Goodbye Girl. Number six was In Search of Noah's Ark, which I'd never heard of that one, but I'm sure was, for number six, it had to be pretty good. Then number seven, which I think is funny. Remember Oh God with John Denver and George Burns? They made a couple sequels with that. I think uh, I did, yeah. Oh yeah, well, he, George Burns, I'm sure you know who he is. <laughs> Say goodnight, Gracie. Goodnight, Gracie. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is it's, just to let people know I'm, I have 20 years on him and Cam Sully. So I know uh, some of my memory is a little bit more. <laughs> I remember more things from that era than he does, but uh, he's then he's going to bring in the, uh, the younger crowd. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number eight was a bridge too far. That's a good movie. And then oh, number yeah. nine of all time for 1977 was the deep. And then number 10 was James Bond, the spy who loved me. So the top 10 list was a list of great movies 
And you really don't see, I mean, that many great movies in one year, or I don't anyway. Yeah, Bridge Too Far especially is yeah. very intense. Yeah, uh, yeah there, there's something for everybody in this year. It's just very eye-opening. There's some obscure ones like Sudden Death, Golden Rendezvous, Gogol 13, mm-hmm. The Pack, which is an animal attack movie, The Baron, but uh, I got to praise, you know, a lot of the ones you mentioned, as well as Suspiria. Yes, I love Dario Argento. Mm-hmm. He is, yeah. I love, I love the Italian horror genre in general. I love him, um, Bava. Um, who's the other one that I like? Lucio Fulci. There's oh, so there many great movies, and yeah. So, yep, I did, I did know Suspiria came out in that year, and and it's from what I. Her, I think I heard correctly. Isn't Dar- didn't Argento just release something recently? Is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's still Fulci. It's... Unfortunately, I, did, I I think I told you on your show I had a chance to meet Fulci and Argento, and oh, unfortunately lovely. I didn't get a picture with them. I'm so angry with myself because it was my fault. I could have. I just said, ah, you know what? I don't worry about it. They'll be around next year. And then unfortunately they never came back. And then Fulci died anyway. I don't think Argento uh. had any more conventions. <laughs> So yeah, that would have been two great so pictures to add to my yeah <laughs> to add to my collection. Yeah, there's there's basically something for everybody in this particular year. There's the Sentinel, which is an Empire Pictures movie. There's mm-hmm. Seven Notes in Black, which is a kind of a cult favorite Giallo movie that's been reevaluated. Yeah, it's a Japanese horror movie called House. There's Shockwaves, which is a more obscure uh, zombie adventure with Peter Cushing. Uh, Nightmare in Blood, which is a retro movie I just bought. Um, the Psychic, also known as Murder to the Tune of the Seven Black Notes, and uh, Crazy Desires of a Murderer, and George Romero's Martin. Oh, yeah. Yep. We know, like, back then, the, they had the uh, exploitation movies of the 70s. Around that time, you could see um, the, the Grindhouse movies. I love the Grindhouse movies. I have... The Car. Yes, that with James Brolin. That is another one of my. He was just on Spinguli a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny is I, I, it's such a great, sort of similar to Duel, where the whole. I mean, this one's a little bit different. I'm not going to give it away. If you haven't seen it by now, then, but it's like similar to Duel, where the trucks chasing them. But in this one, you actually know who's chasing James Brolin, and who I forgot who played his wife. Was it was Marco Kidder, or was it? Probably. Uh, yeah. But that I, I love that movie. That's another one, and I'm, I'm I think it was because back then, people who who don't know uh, Kyle Richards, I think actually. <laughs> who was it? Kyle Richards, I think. No, uh, no, oh, no, Kathleen wife. Lloyd, I think. No, I'm saying who played his wife in the movie. I thought it was Margot uh, Margot Kidder, but I'm just looking up who's the main character. Oh, James Brolin was the main actor. I'm not sure okay. what the name was. So parent, parent, parent. Uh, yeah, Kyle Richards. <laughs> Oh, okay. Oh, Kyle Richards. Mm-hmm. Oh, close enough. Oh, good. Yeah, no, but so yeah, she was Kyle Richards was the daughter because she played her. Oh, sister. okay. So yeah. Kim Richards. Then. Kim Richards. Well, that no, Kim Richards is Kyle Richards' sister. Kyle Richards played in Halloween, the first one. She played huh. um, the the friend of the neighbor that Jamie Lee Curtis was babysitting, and then uh, recently she's in all these reality shows. I think the Celebrity yeah. Housewives or something like that. But yeah. The, she, she played I forgot that she was in that movie she, she hmm. I, I was a huge fan of Kim Richards she as you know John Carpenter's Assault yeah. Precinct 13 and then I love another movie that she played um Tough Turf that's when she was a little bit older yep yeah but anyway so there's so many great movies we're we're I'm sure we're gonna go off on plenty of tangents but for now <laughs> which one would you rather talk about which one would you like to start off with the deep or close encounters which one 
did do you like better? And uh, why? It's a good question. Both very entertaining movies. Uh, the Deep's kind of a fun, slow burn kind of top yeah. movie. Uh, Close Encounters is also very open minded. I, I man. <laughs> Well, let's start with the deep. Now, the reason I want to start with the deep is I'm just coming back recording this show from a cruise from Bermuda. So I, and that's where they filmed the movie. That's where the movie is based in. And mm-hmm. so I, the first day we got to Bermuda, my wife and I rented a taxi. They took us to all the places where they filmed the movie and it was, I have tons of pictures. So I, I had the deep on my mind, but then a couple of years ago, I was in Wyoming at Devil's Tower for the same reason. Not not because of that, but I happened to be there and I said, you know, Close Encounters is another one of my favorite movies. So I got the chance to visit places where they filmed those scenes. So yeah, we'll start with The Deep. The move, well, first of all, I still got it. Let's see. <laughs> and I've been reading this too, Inside the Deep. It's uh, the making of the movie. So the movie was released on June 17th, 1977. The budget, which I think is hilarious because now... They don't even make um, movies with camcorders for this much. Nine million dollars was their budget. They, uh, they um, orig- uh, all in all, they grossed over a hundred million dollars. But that year, it was the eighth highest grossing film at, with forty-seven point three million dollars. So imagine that—that that would be considered a flop at forty-seven point three million dollars. Like, I think Han the Solo movie made maybe like nine hundred million. They're like, oh, we're not making any more Star Wars. They're they're flopping now. And this makes forty seven point three million had the highest eighth highest grossing film of seventy seven. Right. <laughs> but um so for people unbelievable budget. <laughs> oh I know. And it, it it's funny I'm I'm rereading the, those books I have are the originals. I bought these and I'm still and uh, I I kept these. But I so I'm rereading the making of the deep because I'm, uh, I'm interested in and the things that they had to go through and the people they wanted to get. So originally they like for people that don't know, it was written by Peter Benchley who wrote jaws. So the after jaws was the highest grossing movie of all time in 1975 until star Wars came out that in 77, but Peter Benchley in 1976 says, well, I'm writing a new book. Columbia pictures bought that the rights to the movie, the book without even, he wasn't even done with the book yet. So they said, we're going to buy it. So they were already casting the, the film before he even had anything written. So he was in the process of getting it done. So they ended up with uh, Robert Shaw, Nick Nolte, and Jacqueline Bissett, which I think are three great choices because originally they didn't want Nick Nolte because they said he was a TV star. At the time, the only thing he did was rich man, poor man. They said, nobody cares about TV. This is a day before you know either, either a TV star or a movie star. So they're like, right. nobody's going to care. And then Jacqueline Bissett, at first, originally, she was popular. She was in Bullet, which was you know a great movie with Steve McQueen. Oh, yeah. And she was in Murder on the Orient Express, the original. Mm-hmm. So she was well known. But originally, they wanted to, uh, they were, they were, believe it or not, I think it's hilarious. I was reading about this. They were doing a beauty contest. And they were having people, all these hot women come dressed in bikinis. But nobody could act. And finally, they got Jacqueline Bissett because Peter Yates, who directed The Deep, also directed Bolton. He goes, we got to get her. So at first she didn't want to do it because she hates, she doesn't know how to swim or didn't know how to swim at the time. And she goes, I really don't want any interest in this movie. And uh, they, he, he, she loved working with Peter Yates. So they finally, he finally talked her into it. And they needed uh, the main character whose name is Romer Treese in the, in the uh, movie and novel. And they finally settled on Robert Shaw. So he was just, I said, coming off of Black Sunday and Jaws. And he was really popular. 
And there's a, unfortunately some big egos at the time. Robert Suss says, well, I'm not going to be in this movie unless my name's on top. And then Jacqueline Bissett, well, <laughs> my name's got to be on top too. But Nick Nolte said, that. no, 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 we're not going to have any of this until he met Jacqueline Bissett. And he goes, all right, well, let her have a uh, top billing. So there was, there was right off the bat, there was a lot of uh, egos involved, but they finally, and then when they got the script done, they were going to have Peter Benchley write the screenplay, but I don't know if you know the story with Jaws. They he wrote the screenplay and they're like, nah, that's just not going to cut it. So they brought some, um, they brought Carl yeah, some script doctors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they basically did the same same thing for him. So he wrote three drafts and they said we just we just don't like it. And so they brought in um Keenan Wynn, who's um he's this I think Keenan Wynn's son. He's Keenan Wynn was a few huge actor one I mean he's been in the Twilight Zone but there's so many other things that he's done I can't think of right now so he the, the two worked on the script together and, they, and Robert Shaw said because Robert Shaw was a screenwriter as well he wrote books he wrote screenplays and I'm sure pe most people know he was credited partly with writing the uh Indianapolis scene in Jaws oh wow yeah. So he says, I want to help. So he basically rewrote the Romo Trees characters. He says, I'm not really happy with this character. And they said Peter Benchley really had no ego at that time. He's like, yeah, okay, whatever. I don't care. So let's just get this made because they offered him so much money just to buy the book. And he's also, <laughs> also they offered him part of the profits too, because after Jaws, they're like, all right, I'll take some of the profits of the movie. Let's see how this is going to do. And uh, so what happened was they were going to originally film in Bermuda where the film was taking place and if people who know the story um as i mentioned in the intro i said people they they find morphine and then these haitian drug dealers come in to pretend they're glass collectors they're trying to steal <laughs> so bermuda said no we don't like the way we're being um typecast we, we don't like the way that we're being represented we're, we're, we're more of a loving country and they said well we really don't care what you think if we, if we don't why don't you take our money and we're going to film it if we film it somewhere else we're still going to call it Bermuda, so people still have the same same representation of Bermuda. So right, said, all right, we'll take your money, <laughs> and uh, so take the, it, baby, take it. <laughs> yeah, so they did. And the what happened was they were looking for a wreck because there's um well the story had to be simplified because the way they wanted to do it there was the first movie ever filmed live underwater in the ocean with Panavision. They actually um, his name is Stan Waterman. He made a camera that was never, ever used before, never created until that movie so that they can film the scenes of the three of them underwater. Oh, sweet. Yeah. And so, but they said, um, we got to find a wreck. That's the, in the movie, it's called the Goliath. And they said, we got to find our own Goliath. And they were, they found some small wrecks. There's a lot of wrecks in Bermuda, but then this, one of the producers said, wait a minute, the British Virgin Islands, there's this ship. It's been down there forever. It's called the Rhone, R-O-N-E. So they said, all right, let's check it out. So they went over to the British Virgin Islands and they were able to get some great footage. So all the underwater scenes were filmed under the British Virgin Islands. I'm looking at this guy. He's apparently done a bunch of other shark and nature documentaries. <laughs> Good call him to have no, the guys did. who have the eye for that. Yeah, well, it's funny you said that because he was known. There's a documentary that came out. It was really popular in the 70s called Black Water, White Death. And that was what where they got him from. He was one of the um, camera operators on that documentary. So, hmm. so he was really well known for getting all the underwater footage. And he he knew about that wreck and the, he brought them over there. So what they did there was they're trying to like film over in British Virgin Islands while they're doing that. They'd film the land scenes in Bermuda, but 
there's also a scene where they're being attacked by sharks. And first they were mm. worried that it's going to be, oh, everybody's going to think it's like Jaws, another Jaws 2, you know, it's going to be another sequel. We don't want anything to do with Jaws. It's a completely different movie. So they're like, we're going to do it, but there's no sharks like that in Bermuda. So <laughs> the same guy again. says, there's sharks like that off, off the reef in Australia. So for the shark scenes, they flew to Australia and finished. So they did the land scenes in Bermuda, the underwater scenes on the Rhone, which is the name of the ship for the Goliath, British Virgin Islands. And then they did the Australia, the shark scenes. So there was a lot going on. And with movies like that, one of the biggest things is weather. You always have to rely on the weather because, mm -hmm. oh, they, like they, they were promised, oh, Bermuda, the only thing it's like in the winter, it's more like, um, like a, a cloudy summer. And they said it was more like a horrible winter when they got there. There was <laughs> uh, hurricanes, rain. So they're trying to do whatever they could to keep, you know, because of within budget. And uh, it, there was just mm -hmm. a, a lot of... Uh, a lot of going back and forth because all the Columbia picture heads are like, well, I want to see some, <laughs> I want to see some of the footage and they didn't want to send the footage because what happened was they had to film it. Then they had to send it through customs. Then they had to wait for it to come back. So they're, they're trying to film other things while they're waiting to see if the other ones are coming. And what happened was they came back and it was completely dark. And they said, Damn. what the hell are we going to do? Found out somebody made a mistake and they didn't light it correctly. So luckily, somebody was able to fix it so they didn't have to re refilm any of the stuff except for <laughs> just put it for some coloring <laughs> basically but Jacqueline Bissett she she had her own body double she hated swimming she didn't know how to swim so they said well you're gonna have to learn how to swim how to you know if you want to be in the movie she loved it so much she made them redo all the scenes with the stunt double shoes I just want I want people to know that it's me yeah <laughs> uh, and if dedication and if, I guess you know it's funny if you saw the movie have you when's the last time you saw the movie ah uh, probably a few years back it's it's on hbo and the movie channels quite a lot what do you remember most about that movie with jacqueline Bissett? uh definitely just the how the caves are lit up and oh, yeah. how we the viewer feel just as involved you know it's a little slow for today's crowd but yeah for those who just want cool just uh, kind of treasure in the Sierra Madre kind of like type of betrayal, you know, just a bunch of thieves, a bunch of other scoundrels all after gold. You know, it's, it's, well, it's just very suspenseful, especially when they actually come across the treasure that they're seeking. Yep. Well, from what I, that you are correct in everything you said there, but from what I remember most, especially at nine years old, is Jack Lobissette <laughs> in that white t-shirt with no bra. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's Ratings, funny. man. That's how they got through it. <laughs> no, it's funny because Peter Guber, Guber was the producer. That was his first movie he produced. And he said that that t-shirt made me a rich man. <laughs> 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 that, that was done intentionally. It was so gratuitous, but it was so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. They knew yeah. exactly what they were doing. I knew what they're doing. <laughs> but then they were worried about because like she's very quiet, Nick Nolte's very quiet, and they were afraid that the two wouldn't have chemistry on screen. So I, but I think, all in all, that the, the all three of the characters had great chemistry playing off each other. Mm -hmm. And, and Romer Treese, who was played by Robert Shaw, is actually based on a real character. His name is Teddy Tucker, and he lives in Bermuda. And he was friends with Peter Benchley. 
and he found a lot of treasures and he had, he's in the library similar to in the movie of with Robert Shaw and Robert trees. And so he based the character on him. He has like a three second role in the film. I never would have known, but I was uh, doing my research. I looked it up and I watched, rewatched the movie after I came back from Bermuda. And I said, Oh, there he is. So it's got one scene in there, but so the movie was based on sort of on his life. I mean, there, nice. there wasn't, it was, it was more about, cause in the movie, there's one, the Goliath, they're, they're, they're supposed to be diving on one ship, but then there was a huge storm and then the, the Goliath, which was a munition ship, rolled over. And so that they were, there's one ship on top of the other one. So they were finding gold and lots of morphine. So, but they had to prove, they found a manifest and they had to prove, get at least one item from that manifest to show that they, there's proof of the treasure as to Providence. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you know, I mean, I don't think people really care now because the movie came out over 40 years ago. In the movie, Robert Shaw blows the Goliath, his character, because he doesn't want anybody getting to the morphine and having all the morphine on the streets in New York being sold to young kids. So he blows it up. So, But uh, in the book, which Peter Bench, I got I to make a comment. Peter Benchley is a very depressing author, at least in Jaws and Closing, or Jaws in the Deep. And Jaws, heard, yeah. <laughs> at the end of the movie, at the end of the book, I'm sorry, the um, Roy Scheider Brody plays Brody's character, just looks, looks in the, opens his eyes underwater and watches the shark just sink to the bottom. The shark just got so tired from all the barrels, he just got tired. And, and, and then when they were making the movie, um, Peter Benchley found out what uh, Steven Spielberg wanted to do with that. And he says, there's no way people are going to believe this. Put an oxygen tank. Come on. Nobody's going to buy that. And he goes, I had the audience for an hour and 50 minutes. Let, I know what I'm doing. Trust me. And then he said, like, when he, they watched the movie, there was a standing ovation. People sat down. There's another standing ovation. People sat down again. Then there was a third standing ovation. And then he said, all right, I'll never, ever um, doubt you again. So <laughs> in the deep, in the book, Robert Shaw's character, Romer Trees, doesn't find a treasure. He gets killed in the explosion, and that's the end of the book. I, I, <laughs> I, I love reality endings. Like, I think we talked about this in your show. I said one of my favorite movies is The Mist. With, uh, the yeah. movie, Stephen, and I said the, in the movie where they, he thinks he's helping his kids out, so he shoots them, and then he tries to kill himself, and there's no more bullets. And then you hear the monster coming, and they're like, Oh yeah, we're the U.S. government. Just want to let you know we we killed all the monsters. Everything's good. It's like nah, right? So very devastating. <laughs> yeah, I usually like down r- realistic endings, but for some reason, I love the ending of Jaws. I love the ending of Deep, where he finds the gold, throws up, hey David, and uh, it's just uh, I don't know. I guess you have to be in the right kind of mood for the uh, the happy ending. I think these two movies did it well. They changed it to the the right way to keep audiences happy. Right. And it's about time. I think we're finally getting to that point where now we can actually be a little more realistic now. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. It's funny because the European movies are so much more realistic. They end so much more on a downer note because they're not worried about like, oh, we need the, the happy couple walking away in the sunset holding hands. It's like, no. It's like, there's one movie, I can't remember the name of it, but there's, they did a remake with Kiefer Sutherland and Sandra Bullock. In the oh, The Vanishing. Yes. Yeah. In the original the which was i came not so cheerful (laughs) yeah not so cheerful at all in the of course in the american version oh hi honey sorry you've been in there but don't worry about we we got it you're you're good so i 
I, I think, like you said, we're getting more and more, uh, we're, we're more ready to be able to handle those endings than we were maybe back in the 70s and 80s. It's not a career ender anymore. Like, what were you thinking? <laughs> I know. Because for me, I'd rather go for realism. And if it's not, I mean, I, I love, I love a good, you know, action thriller. And I love like, like, all right, we got this. We did, like I just mentioned, the two perfect examples are Jaws and The Deep. But, you know, it's, um, I, I, I prefer the, like for you, uh, with The Deep, what did, uh, what, what I want to ask you about this? What did you like? Did you like the the mix of adventure with uh, characters, or did you did you wish that there was a little, a little bit more action, less? I, I thought it was about right because yeah. it, you know, especially for a movie in this time period, you know, you always have to remind people is like, hey, this is how certain stuff was made back in this particular yeah. time, and it's just also eye opening to just talk about how uh, just back when adventure movies could be this involving instead of just overthink a lot of how to make just the simplest thing yeah yeah and also i think i mean when we get to close encounters we'll talk about the special effects but back then they really didn't have all the special effects that they have now there's no such thing as cgi so everything had to be filmed it wasn't just like oh we'll 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 put you in front of a blue screen or a green screen and then we'll we'll add this in later just look pretend you're looking up at this and uh and we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out later. Yeah. <laughs> like we ever will. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So- it's also just kind of cool to see how people can be this trusting of this kind of a involving an adventure because you see so many other people who try to make their career on action adventure movies and it just always seems to backfire. Well, you know, I think it's funny with Steve, uh, with Peter Benchley is that. You know, Jaws was his first novel, huge hit, biggest movie of all time for a couple of years until Star Wars mm-hmm. came out. So then also anything that this guy, if this guy wrote a menu for Denny's, they would probably option the rights to it. He was just like, we got we got to take everything that he ever does. His third movie which was The Island, which I read the book. I liked the book. The movie was okay, but it still was still very entertaining. I don't know if you that remember 1980 that 1980 with uh, Michael Caine, I think? That's the one. And it's all yeah. about the Bermuda Triangle, where uh, they found out why all, all these ships and planes are going missing. It's not has nothing to do with Supernatural. It's the Pirates, <laughs> which was... I thought it was an entertaining movie, but then I think that that didn't really do as well as the last two. So, so the deep did well, but didn't do as well as Jaws. Island did okay, didn't do as well as the deep. So then after that, he started. He wasn't like the big name that we have to pick up option every novel. Yeah, who is this Benchley guy? And it seems like from that point on, they just made a bunch of mini series based on his name. <laughs> yeah, well, there's one called The Beast, which is three guys go on a boat. Will Peterson, yeah, yeah and, and, and go after an octopus this time. <laughs> Yeah, I saw that on Sci-Fi quite a bit. Yeah, oh yeah, it was like a NBC two-part big night event. Yeah, he started writing the same (laughs) stories, but just now, now if if we kept different creature now, (laughs) and he'd always have a lot of science exposition, and they'd cut it out in the adaptations. Yeah, I, 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 I gave up. I think I read, well, I read those three books and then after that, I sort of gave up on it, but I did watch some of the, you know, the mini series that we mentioned. I just, 
wasn't really a, didn't follow his career too long after that. <laughs> he sort of just kept on regurgitating the same formula, but with different, different beasts. You're right. Yeah, different uh, creature of nature. <laughs> so for the deep, let's talk about the cast. We mentioned the three main characters, but they also had so many other great people. Lou Gossett Jr. played the villain. Henry Cloche. He he was a great villain, I thought. Yeah. I uh, just you you instantly know where they're at, you know you can run into some trouble and you're just pretty much just preparing yourself for the various deceit. because uh, you know there's going to be just something else that just comes up where you're just like, "Oh, oh, oh okay." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're just like so calm, cool and clear. Yes, I'm a class collector. I'd love to check the like, yeah, something's not right. Then they they get into all the voodoo stuff. There you are. <laughs> And I can't remember what his name, the actual actor's name is, but I was just reading this the other day in the making of it. There's one guy who plays Cloche's psychic. He's the one off your, you probably haven't seen. I just saw the movie, so it's really fresh in my head. But um, Romer Treese's brother's name is Kevin. He was always, his mother always said, take care, of, take care of your brother. So there's a big scene because he's like a big guy. So he's a big scene where Cloche's henchmen had this big fight and he um, breaks his neck. But the guy that played that character was told that he wouldn't have to do any swimming at all. But the, the actor they lied. <laughs> yeah, well, no, what happened was the actor they got was a former Mr. Universe, and they could not find anybody that looked like him, anybody that had that kind of build that was <laughs> acting. So they said, you're going to have to come down. You're going to have to learn how to swim very quickly. So they, what they did was they had this big. wild. It, um, they had this huge huge tanks what they did was i mentioned they filmed the underwater scenes in british virgin islands but they also had this one of the biggest at that time underwater tank that i think over 100 million gallons of seawater and they had a, a, re, a replica of the the goliath in there as well and so what they had to do is they had to teach him how to swim and they they filmed some of the diving sequences in there too so there, there was and it was funny because where i was in bermuda where the where the crews docked they said, oh, yeah, that's where it was right there. So it was like right there off the dock and they had these two big tanks. And, uh, <laughs> but they, they, I think that's where they filmed the explosion and, and other things like there's a scene where uh, they're, they're, they're sending all the ampules up. Uh, so they did some of that there. So, but they, they had to make him, they couldn't find somebody that looked just like this guy. Cause they said, there's no actor that really has the build of Mr. Universe. <laughs> <laughs> So like I said, like nice. I said it's a, it was a different, different time period where the, the, the actors, unlike, I think I, we talked about this before, I said, unlike the only actor who really loves doing his own stunts right now is Tom Cruise, which I'm surprised <laughs> he got away with. Because well, no, they invest so much money in these actors and movies. If he gets hurt, you know, when people are out of work, so it's like, it's like a good and bad thing. It's like, I'd see, I mean, if I, if I was Tom Cruise, and I, I would love to do all my stunts too, but I remember when, <laughs> when Jackie Chan first came to America, he made a movie and he says, Americans are way too uh, safety conscious. They're way too careful. And they said, what do you uh, mean? He goes, in my country, I do all my own stunts here. Oh, no, no, you, you must sit down, Mr. Chan. You can't, you can't be doing this. You're going to, if you get hurt. So. And then he says years later, oh, I don't like how my country doesn't have good safety issues. You know, these guys oh, are just too yeah. close to it. Yeah, so so back then they they did have some stunt doubles, and you know what's funny? I was reading because 
if you remember the the and every Peter Benchley novel has some kind of animal. So in this one, it was a moray eel. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> yeah, that thing. Uh, I wondered how close they got to it just to film it. No, well, the funny thing was is that it was all mechanical. They, oh. they yeah, they they nicknamed it. Shows how much I know about this book. <laughs> yeah. Well, I said, well, it's it's so fresh in my head. I mean, I'm reading the making of the deep. Um, and well, they they brought some girl on that Peter Yates knew. And he and she made it, and it looked nothing like a moray eel. It didn't move like a moray eel. <laughs> they said you. So they had her. They they had her um, watch these. Um, one of the photographers, like this underwater film photographer, sent all these different um, films to this woman to show how they move, what they look like. So they were able to do like you know first the headshot where it came out and it a bit closer, but then they would do they do another scene where they would like make I don't even know how they did it because that's what I'm reading now. It's like it does it looks so realistic where it's weaving in and out. <laughs> yeah, that was all mechanical. And that for me, 1977, those are pretty good special effects. Yeah, yeah. And even then, I mean, mechanical is just still found to be somewhat menacing and enticing. Oh yeah. Like and and they wanted to make the um we'll call it Percy, the uh, eel, more eel look even more menacing. So what they did was they had two smaller versions of Robert Shaw and Lou Gossett Jr. Maybe they were like- uh, Oh, that's like right. Lou Gossett is in this, yep. Also yeah. Similar in... similar to what Spielberg did in Jaws to make the shark look more menacing in the cage, they had they put a midget for Richard Dreyfuss in the cage to make the shark look more realistic, or not more realistic, bigger. Bigger than it actually is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they did the same thing with 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 this Demoriel. If people, like I said, if you haven't seen the movie by now, definitely go watch it again. Even if you know what's going on, it's still. I'm sure there's a Blu-ray of it somewhere. Oh yeah, I I just why well, I, I still had it on DVD, but then I one day I couldn't find it, so I just rented it, and then, <laughs> then after I rented it, I'm like, oh, here's the movie. So there it is. Yeah, <laughs> it's only it was 99 cents on Amazon, so it's not that expensive. Oh wow. It is a deal. <laughs> Ninety-nine cents. Do you have anything else you want to talk about with the deep? Uh, and now that you mentioned Lewis Gossett, uh, I, I definitely, if anyone's a fan of him, I, I'm not sure why anyone wouldn't be. Uh, but definitely, if you're going to see any of his performances, definitely see him in this particular movie. <laughs> oh yeah, this is good. Was it? He was in. Uh, was it the Choir Boys as well, or was it? Uh, yeah, wasn't the Choir I, Boys? I think he was. Yeah. Yeah, that's another great movie. Where it's like he plays a cop. Was Joseph Wambag is a he was a, a real very unusual cop. comedy, just yeah. showing all these. It's very satirical about these various unprofessional cops, and just it's kind of a tragedy at the same time too. <laughs> well, I'm sure you know the story. Then Joseph Wambach, who wrote the book, um, was a former cop, and most of those stories are from his real life. Yeah. And one of my favorite scenes, I don't know why, I, I mean, I haven't seen the movie probably since the 70s, but I remember this one scene, this guy was like, I'm going to kill myself, I'm going to jump up, and they're like, watch this, go ahead, jump, stop being such a <laughs> pussy. And the guy jumps, he goes, what are you doing? I thought, I didn't think he was going to jump, I thought, what? You... I was kidding. <laughs> I, was trying, I was just kidding, I thought I was using reverse psychology. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know, he's... Psych. Yep. <laughs> Oh well, one other thing. I was I drove by there and I and the world, not the World Cup. Uh, there's what's the sport that's really big in Bermuda? Oh my God, my mind just went blank on this. It's not the World Cup. I'm just thinking that because that's what's going on now. But it's a uh, they have the paddle and they hit the ball. Well, whatever it is. Oh, 
not not pickleball. Uh, rugby, I think. Rugby, okay. Yes, rugby, okay. So they, I was uh, my taxi driver was taking me by this field. He's like, rugby is the sport everybody goes to. Nobody, nobody misses. There's they actually use it as a vacation. I mean, like a holiday. So they take three days off, which <laughs> is coming up either next week or the week after. And so I said, wait, is this field for use for all rugby matches? And he goes, yeah, why? And I said, there's a scene in clo- um, in the deep where they, they're they at a rugby match. So then I was doing my research. I guess 1976, when that's, that movie was filmed, they uh, it was the 75th year of whatever rugby event that was going on. And it was a huge deal. So they, they took a handheld camera and they filmed the scene with Robert Shaw and Louis Gossard Jr. Oh, wow. And he said that it was funny. It's like, um, well, they said what was great is the Bermudians could really care less. There's three movie theaters on the whole island. They could care right. less about movie stars, nothing. But there's a lot of the American tourists are coming up to me, hey, Robert, show this. And they're trying to film. And he said the one good thing is that when people are coming up to Robert Shaw, his character is supposed to be really well known on the island. So they just kept it in there like, hey, how's it going? So then, <laughs> but that's, they had to film that scene because it was during a real live match. And what happened was the night before Robert Shaw says, yeah, I'm getting married tomorrow. It's, what? Yeah, I'm getting married. You better be. You gotta be back in time to film. Yeah, yeah. So you almost didn't get back in time to film. They had the. And what happened was it was so loud. It's such a shame that he had to be in one of the weaker Jaws movies. <laughs> uh, can you yeah. imagine Lewis Gossett as in Roy Scheider's sheriff role? <laughs> no. <laughs> Probably not. He did too good a job. <laughs> yeah. I. I you know what's funny is I always say this because like you you hear like all these different actors that tried for the roles and then you're like I can't ever picture them, but then that's only because you could you see who was in the movie and doing the role, but like uh, originally I think you know in Jaws they wanted Charlton Heston as Brody, which I could sort of see, but then like well Spielberg said he goes I don't want I don't want anything bigger than the shark. He's I I don't I don't want a, some guy who's more well known than uh, the shark. So that's why he, they picked at the time lesser known actors which robert roy shire was making a lot of good movies i think that year he came out with a movie called sorcerer which is really good yeah rest in peace william friedkin i cannot believe that i was yes. so distressed he's a, yeah he, that we gotta do we have to do one on the exorcist like the whole there because oh yeah trust well, me all right well let's do it because they're i don't know if you the saw the tv it. show especially <laughs> oh yeah definitely i uh that that is where the canon ends in my mind. You, you do part one, then you do part three, and then oh yeah, part one. Well, it's funny because part one and part three were both written by William Peter Blatty, and great. I think it was third one was called Legion, if I'm correct. Part of the Exorcist. I think so. Yeah, it's so funny how John Borman got involved with it, even though he wasn't a fan of it. <laughs> oh really? That that part I didn't know. Yeah, it, it's. It's so funny how so many people will just get hired on for stuff that they are not even a fan of. And it's like, well, then why are you involved with this franchise? Are you that in need of a payday? <laughs> well, unless you have people like Michael Caine, which I, I wish right? I, I would know. I don't Pardon. know if you know. Here's what he said. And I love this because I would love to have a point in my career if I had a career in the movie state where he, was, he goes, I don't really care how bad the movie is. I just go wherever they're filming. He goes, Jaws the Revenge. They're filming in the Bahamas. That's like a vacation for me in the Bahamas. I don't care what, how bad the movie is. So imagine getting to that to a point in your career, you could just say, "I'm going to the movie. I'm going to film this movie because this is what we're doing." <laughs> yeah, because where we're filming is like to me. I'm going to take my family. We're going to have a good time. It's, who gives a shit how bad the movie is? Right. And you just got to pay it forward. <laughs> yep. 
So yeah, definitely. Because well, what made me think of the extras is I went to go see Oppenheimer yesterday for the second time. Oh, I highly recommend it. It's such a great Chris Nolan has always been a great writer and director to me, and he just gets better and better. I mean, I remember seeing the following back in the nineties and then Memento and then Inception. Goes I like his earlier stuff. I, I wasn't as keen on some of his previous war movies and sci-fi, but yeah. uh, that's good. It seems to be dominating the box office and really uh, making audiences just have their mind blown. So yeah. that's good. Well, and, and for people that are interested, it's about the, the creator of the atomic bomb. Very mm-hmm. Robert Downey's my sister's already He's, my sister saw it and she's like, yeah, he's totally going to get the award this year. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, he, the cast is unbelievable. You have Robert Downey Jr. You have Gary Oldman playing Harry Truman. You have Emily Blunt. You have Casey Affleck. You have, I'm trying to think of like just the people off the top of my head. There's so many. So many big A-listers, yeah. A-listers, but there's also so many great character actors. Like, where do I know this guy from? And you realize he's been in a thousand movies. Sort of like yeah. Dick Miller's of the world. <laughs> that would be a fun random twitter instagram poll who's going to be the next dick miller of uh, the 2020s <laughs> well they even had um are you a fan of the warriors yeah uh, right. i'm a big walter hill guy so yeah <laughs> right so james remar is in it he's another mm-hmm. he plays ajax in the in the warriors for people who don't know yep i mean the movie's Little, got everybody and it's all freaking remar yep yeah, and it's funny because the first time I saw it, I said, well, I'm, I don't know if you follow me on Facebook, but I mean, I interviewed three of the guys from the Warriors and I became friends with all of them. I, I They're loved, all just delightful people. Yeah, they are. I mean, just the other day, I went to New York City to uh, Thomas G. Waits, who played uh, Fox on the Warriors. He played Windows in the Thing. And we became, he goes, I want to go. He's, he has an acting school. I said, well, I'd love to check out your acting school. He said, oh my God, I have the perfect thing for you. I want to have you come to New York City where the acting school is. I want you to do Richard III. So I went down there. The other <laughs> yeah. So the, he is such a cool guy. But the reason I'm bringing this up was I'm also friends with Apache uh, Ramos. And for people who want to check out these interviews, go to my YouTube channel, Rich Sear. And it's on the Claws. Yeah. C-L-A-W-S, Claws Corner. And I interviewed Thomas G. Waits, who played Fox. I interviewed Apache Ramos, who played um, one of the orphans. And I also interviewed David Harris, who played Cochise. But the oh, other sweet. day, Apache's like, oh, man, it's so great to see my my fellow warrior in Oppenheimer. So I, I watched it again. I said, like, oh, wow. I don't even know how I did not even recognize him. But, <laughs> but the movie is extremely accurate. There's not one thing they got wrong. I mean, they, there's only, I won't bring up this movie so brand new people that maybe didn't see it yet, but there's like a couple things they got right, but they just left out just a little bit. Other than that, it was, I mean, all the way down to like where he meets Truman and what Truman says to him. I mean, it was almost verbatim. It's such a, it's a really, really good movie. Ah, there we go, man. See, this is why I like just talking about these different kinds of cult movies. Cause you really do get kind of a sense of just, why why these particular movies have stood the test of time oh yeah no i I agree with you and i think that i mean going back to his career i love the early movies i love well memento is where he really broke out chris nolan yeah but then there's a movie that came out before that called the following i don't know if you saw that movie yeah the following 1998 yeah yeah yeah. i love that movie and so i've been following the budget and i actually liked inception a lot of people didn't like it I like, I love the Batman. I'll movie. take it. Uh, Tenet, I can't do. <laughs> but, Which one, Tenet? 
yeah that that, that ending just didn't rock oh. my boat but uh yeah inception i think can do I, I just feel like he's better with mystery than he is at action yeah this one has a little bit of both like there's a lot of um there's oh yeah another one is matt damon was in it too but there's a matt <laughs> sorry i love him I, lo- I love my me some paul greengrass and matt damon it's okay <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this movie has a lot of action but it, it's such a there's so many great characters in this movie and it just goes back and forth, back and forth. It's over three hours long and you don't even realize how long it is. That says a just... lot though. Uh, it's rare that I can see movies that really pull it off. I think Lincoln and LA Confidential are good examples of yeah. how they make every moment count. And next thing you know, two and a half hours have gone by. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, whoa, where did that go? Yeah. And this is, I think if you see this, you will have the same reaction to this movie that you just did with some of those other movies, like Elliot Confidential. Like, oh, wow, it's over already. Uh, but the, what, we, what we'll do is for The Exorcist, to, I don't know if you know this, they're coming out with a sequel. Right. Right. Yeah. So I, I saw By the trailer. The Blumhouse guys. Yeah. 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 And it was just funny because I was watching the trailer. I said, this is such a complete ripoff. It's so blatant. Then I'll see <laughs> Then I say, there's only one woman that knows this, remembers this from the past. And then they show, uh, uh, what's her name in real life? It was, McNeil was still her, her name in the movie. But um, anyway, the, the <laughs> one who played the mother in the movie is in this one. And, yep. uh, and you know, you know what's, I don't know if you know this about it. Cause do you go to a lot of the movie conventions? Uh, on occasion, I, I've been fortunate enough to go to some of the, it's been a minute, but I would go to some of the, uh, Texas Frightmare ones, but I, I definitely prefer some of the more uh, quieter cons where, you know, half the proceeds go to a good cause and you see all these other guys who have, have been, again, been in all, movies of all kinds. There's there's something for everybody. Yeah, and I agree with that. The, re- the reason I'm bringing this up is, have you ever met Linda Blair? I haven't. Uh, how is she? First time I met her, she was great. I used to do a radio show and she did a bumper oh, for me and she goes, you're listening to Rich Sear on 1240 WWC. Yeah. He really makes my head spin. And she was great. But then <laughs> over the years, I don't know what happened. She became, I don't want, I don't want to talk about the exorcist. I don't want anybody to mention that. I, I save dogs now. Here's my, here's my, uh, cal- <laughs> buy my calendar. It's like, people are not here to buy your calendar. People are here to talk about the exorcist. It's a, it's the a movie that made convention. you. Nobody. I mean, maybe the people are, they care about what you're doing. I think it's a great thing what you're doing, but it's not why we're here this is yeah and the only reason she's there is because of the exorcist she's not there because of night patrol she's not there because of uh what's the other movie the blair bitch project which was actually (laughs) which is a spoof yeah Yeah. it's some people get so again it's people get too close to what they're doing and it's like well that's great and all you might you might not be oh you might be over it but we're not not exactly (laughs) It's like, and if you don't want to talk about it, don't just don't, say it. They pay don't, them. No, they pay them. Pay these people to come to the conventions. Don't go to. <laughs> don't take the paycheck. Just go there and sell your. So she's kind of like Tom Savini, who isn't like, you know, you know, you'll see how he, he just really doesn't want to. He'll make glances at all the beautiful women who are there, but he just doesn't really care to be there either. And it's it's always just kind of illuminating because it's just like, well. Again, you know, if you don't want to be here, you know, no one is forcing you. you know? 
Well, it's funny you say that because I met him in 1990. I remember so clearly. And he was the coolest guy in the world. Oh, he's that's like, good. No, no. Well, that, there's more to the story. So oh. I, I met him. <laughs> and he's like this. He goes, you know, I remember, you know, it's like I always think of the Quentin Tarantino story. This is what he's telling me. He goes, Quentin Tarantino was this guy from a video store. He became, he goes, now anybody wants to make, I'm going to help them out. I'm going to be there because you never know who's going to be the next Quentin Tarantino. I went two years ago. No, yeah, two years ago to uh, the, the Chiller Convention in New Jersey. Like you said, uh, you really could care less of being there. I'm talking to him. He's like, yeah, okay. And I said, well, look, be on my show. Yeah, check out my Instagram then. Like he could tell you, he's not, I, I messaged him and I knew he's he not a people person. No, not at all. I mean, but he, he went from, oh, yeah, I help out everybody. So you never knew who's going to be the next Quentin Tarantino to like, yeah, go on my Instagram if you really want to talk to me. I'm, I'm right, really not in the mood to talk to you right now. I mean, he didn't word it quite like that, oh but that was God. Yeah. I was getting an autograph from him back in 2016 for 40 bucks, and he, he just was like looking right through me like I'm not even there. I'm just like, dude, I mean, we can read your body language. And I, it was, I just regretted just paying that amount of money. It's like, well, too late now, but I already want my money back. <laughs> oh, so you did? You got your money back? I didn't. <laughs> oh. Yeah, no, it's just it, refusing. But it's just annoying because, like you say, you, you just know they can do better. Yeah. And excuse me, what, I mean, I, why are they even there? You don't have yeah. to be there. Nobody's putting a gun to your city. Oh, and the worst, the two worst I've met at these, com- you know, let's go back a little bit. I'll tell you the two worst, and I'm going to tell you a story of what I think. The two worst, um, Linda Hamilton and how was uh, she what was that how was she oh, she was a bitch she just did not oh, want to be there she didn't care less about being she cared less about my mind she'd be like yeah let's take the picture but the worst is uh oh my god tatum o'neill oh. she was a complete bleep. <laughs> she uh, somebody's walking by he's like just trying to take a picture of his friend put the fucking camera down take a fucking picture of me so then I'm like, wow, this is. So I said, right, let me get a picture with her. I get a picture. Don't stand so fucking close to me. Oh my god, Calm oh down. my word. She was a bitch. And the some of the nicest people like I've father, met, father like daughter, I guess. Well, that's why. <laughs> that's exactly what I said. No one, I wanted to say, no wonder why your dad hates you. <laughs> no one, like I can only imagine what it was like living with John McEnroe, those two together, because he has he's such a high head too. So when she was yeah. married to John McEnroe for years, I could only imagine the fights they got into. But some people just don't know how to be any kind of normal. It was like, I can understand if you're in a zone or you only want to see a certain amount of people, like just 10 VIP people for the day and call it a day. But yeah, it happens sometimes. And I mean, Linda, I could at least excuse that she, you know, has had some depression and everything and just been overwhelmed. But at the same time, yeah, like you say, it's like you got plenty of time to just say, nope, nope, not going to do it. But but some of the nicest people I've met are uh, Martin Landau, you know, and another one that was so nice was George Hamilton. And he was, was, I was talking, no, actually, here's what happened. I was waiting in line, actually, three of them, Henry Winkler, I'm going to mention those three, Henry Winkler, George Hamilton, Martin Landau three huge stars everybody if they don't know them by name some of the younger people they're gonna say oh wait i've seen him in this i know this i remember this <laughs> all three of them and george hamilton first of all was like um i hear he's an angel so yeah, that's good well, well he was i was in line he, was, he came up to me to apologize he goes i 
I'm so sorry. This is my first convention. I'm having so much fun. He was like, promise I'll talk to you. I said, no, take your time. But he, he was, I just, I love this. And he did a bumper for me from the Claws Corner. And then Martin Lando did the same thing. I was like, this, of course I'll do one for you. No problem. And, and, yeah. But Henry Winkler, I wish I had, this time I wish I had a show. I didn't have a show at the time. I'm sure he would have done it because he goes, can you hold on for a second? And I, he went down the line was down the hall he went and thanked everybody for being so patient and being there for him he goes oh see yeah. that's going the extra mile that's exactly great. he he is such a, so and this is why i bring this up it seems like the nicest people are the ones that don't have anything to prove they know who they are they've done everything they don't have to prove the the ones that are the meanest are that i mentioned are either maybe not they're on the way down or they're like kind yeah. of burned out yeah yeah they're or the up and coming who they think they have, they have something to prove it's like the up and coming and the ones that are on the way down like i didn't realize about linda hamilton maybe she was just having a bad day she wasn't really nasty like tatum o'neill was but you can right. tell she was she didn't slap anything out of your hand calling you an asshole but at the yeah. same time she's like you just again just seeing it on your face where you're like hmm. exactly like i have zero interest in being here and talking to you i just wish i can go in in a corner and die i'd have more fun <laughs> that's the kind of look i got <laughs> yeah uh i'll tell you a good one uh so back in 2014 i met uh do you know the bald uh henchman guy from death race leon the professional nip tuck csi miami oh yeah yeah what's yeah what's... robert lasardo an italian latino guy yeah, yeah. yeah sweetest sweetest man ever he just I, I i talked to him for three hours and he's like oh you don't have to pay me i'm like no no i'm gonna pay you you know buy one of your autographs because yeah. gave me a moment of your time but it was just cool to just see even though even wondering what are you guys learning in film school oh my god that's ridiculous they taught you that that's not cool you know <laughs> and uh I, I was this close to meeting his best friend andrew devoff who you might know as one oh, yeah. of gary oldman's yeah you know, wishmaster and gary oldman's henchman in air force one you know oh, yeah he had left like two hours earlier, but I loved going to that convention because half 50% of the proceeds went to a dog charity. Uh, there were some other guys who had kind of done a lot of lowbrow, like D list, like amateur, like sci-fi horror movies who wanted me to like buy their like $30 DVDs. But I was politely just went to the other side of the room, but I ended up just talking at his panel for, you know, again, three hours. Cause uh, and the best thing he ever said to me is like talking about filmmakers. He's like, Woody Allen can make wood interesting. <laughs> that stuck with me. I was like, see, I like how I like it when people who not only want to have an actual conversation, but can dissect all kinds of just social commentary, filmmaking styles. And, you know, and it was funny as I was even introducing him to some movies that he had never heard of. I was like, oh, I've, I've, I've never seen that movie. I've seen that movie by that filmmaker. I didn't know it was related. I've, I've never heard of that. So, it's interesting when some people are so busy working that you forget that they don't necessarily have time to, you know, watch the same material either. <laughs> yeah, no, that is right. And I've, I've met some, actually met Andrew Devoff years ago. Nicest, He's kind of nicest world. man ever, right? Yeah. Yeah. My God. He's, and I, I love, like you said, I forgot all about Air Force One, but yeah, the Wishmaster, the first one anyway, is like such a great movie. And I oh, love his yeah. character, but he, he's not, he's from what I remember. I mean, I could be wrong. He speaks at least six languages. The guy's extremely intelligent. He was telling me his story. Was, Absolutely. Yeah. And it's just, I could have talked to, I got a, I have a picture with him somewhere. This was the days when I had the disposable camera. So it was back in, I want to say in the night. I love those. Oh my God. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen him at a convention, but yeah, I've, I'm so glad that, so you did eventually meet him. 
I, I, I'm best friends with his social media coordinator, uh, Erica Wright. And uh, last year, he, he wasn't doing any interviews, but he was just like saying, hey, uh, you guys have all been patient. I know I haven't been able to give you all some fan mail. Uh, so I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you just 20 minutes of a phone call conversation. And Erica gave me a warning. Hey, in 20 minutes, it's going to be this number calling from L.A. And just letting you know. <laughs> uh, he he knows you're a big fan. He's seen some of the work you've done on the podcast. Really likes how you're promoting it. I uh, just he's going to give you a moment of his time. And I just I pretty much just was ready. I was like, hey, and uh, I just gave him like ten different compliments. He's like, oh shoot, I didn't know anyone saw that. No, thank you. <laughs> well, it's funny that you say that too because that's um, I don't know how many times this happened. Most of these stars, you know, are they have a great body of work, but people come yeah. to see them for like one or two movies. So I I don't know how many times. So my brother and I, we used to go together all the time. And he, he we, I have two brothers. We all grew up. My father used nice. to experience the movies. And they'd say, like, I don't know if your kids can handle this. My kids can take it. Get them a ticket. So we saw every movie. And then, they, of course, this is the advent of video. So in the late 70s, early 80s, we used to have to go to these videos and just rent anything by the cover. So we saw it. Yeah, whatever's sold you in yeah. that moment. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Whatever's the catchphrase. Yeah. So, so now we, when I go, we go to meet these actors, we're like, oh, but you were in this one, this one. And the guy will say, wow, I didn't think anybody was going to even know. So they start, they bring out this. I, I kept this out. I, I thought had it no was idea, nobody, video. And it yeah, nobody, I didn't realize anybody. And then Kim, actually, it's funny because you mentioned Kim Richards earlier. Um, there was, she's in a movie. I can't remember the name of it, but I have it. It's some other slasher. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's about a racist dog. I'm not kidding. It's like white, oh, white, 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 white dog. Yeah, white dog. And she was, Samuel Fuller. Yeah. Yeah, she goes, how the hell do you know that? She goes, this is great. She, she loved it. And uh, she, she was a really, she, I mean, I know. I mean, she, she comes from an issues. era where if you didn't hear back, you kind of took it as, took it personally. Like, oh, man, I must have screwed up. No one's talking about that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was funny because she goes, I, I almost completely forgot about that movie. So I just like you, because you you know a lot of things about movies. So when you meet all these. So actors, you, my dude, but. I'm I'm having I'm getting even more tickled by some of your celeb encounters because they kind of remind me of my encounter with Tara Reid, where it's like you know I wasn't even where it's just people who are there who just will rudely just walk through lines of people just because they want to get a bite to eat or even just I mean that's why I had to stop going to certain conventions where they would they wouldn't tell you you know that you'd have to wait in certain VIP lines or you could but you still have to be standing there so it. A lot, communication i think is key for any convention and you got to just ultimately decide you know do you want to go there or not yeah well it's funny you said that because very recently the last convention i went to um my friend she wanted to get a picture with priscilla presley and i said well i'm not paying full price I'll, I'll oh wow yeah this but it's a great story though because i, I said well I said, while you're waiting in lines, I thought it was going to take forever. I'm going to go talk to uh, Blue Lou Marino, Marini from Blues Bros. So I want to get him on my podcast. <laughs> when I'm talking to him, he goes, oh, yeah, he gave me his phone number. We're going back and forth. I come back. Sherry took a picture. So this big guy comes up to me. He goes, do you want a picture with Priscilla? I said, I do. But I, I was supposed to take it with my friend Jen, but she got it quicker. And I said, I just don't have enough money to pay for the whole thing. So I started yeah, walking. Yeah, not today. Goes, just, no, but he goes, all right comes back he goes sir come here priscilla, priscilla says she wants to take a picture with you for free i said okay whoa <laughs> yeah, and she was <laughs> she was very quiet and didn't say a lot but she was very nice because i'm a huge fan of the uh naked gun movies i love the naked gun movies. oh yeah man but that that is cool too when they they see out of the side of your eye and it's like hey 
you know, my manager might not like it, but fuck it. You know, I, when you pride fans over whatever your agent says, that's still, that speaks volumes. That's, that's cool. I think one of the, one of my favorite stars I've met, and I, this, I'm so happy that I probably got one of the last interviews with him ever, Reggie Bannister from the Phantasm franchise. Oh, man. Right. So what happened was. Yeah, uh, Reggie's uh, not doing so good health-wise, but man. Well, I got to tell you a story about that, because what happened was, I years ago I met him. I met him so many times, like, like he, he remembered me, not by name, but he's like, oh, yeah, you, and then we were talking, but he would talk, he had his, Phantasm had one table, he had his own table, and he, we talked to him my brother and i talked to him probably like 45 minutes had the best time so when i got the show i reached out to him on facebook and his wife Gigi, kept going back she goes oh well you know what reggie you know he's busy right now so i thought i said why is she doing all the talking i don't get this and i said she's she's blowing us off he's not gonna do the interview and every time we get oh you know what let's do it tuesday oh you know what something just came up so finally we did the interview uh, my my co-host He's a co-host for this show, but we, um, I do my interview show mostly so but he, he wanted to be on that one. I'm like, yeah, go right ahead. So <laughs> we, did, we did the interview and she, every time she's like, Reggie, remember, no, remember, remember Reggie? And I'm like, why is she so overbearing? And it wasn't until after <laughs> we did the interview, I realized that he had, he has, um, is it Alzheimer's or dementia or is it Parkinson's? He's got one of the, like one of the three and he's not doing well at all, but he was so i probably got one of the last interviews and i thought she was blowing me off and she was overbearing but she was actually protecting him because he wasn't feeling well and she was trying to get him because he couldn't remember when i was asking him a question he could tell he's staring after i found out i watched the interview again i could tell him like thinking and then she goes no remember this remember you were in a hotel and this happened so i but it, he, it took him a minute but yeah, yeah you know, the dementia yeah. you can kind of see is seeping in a bit yeah, but in his prime, he was the nicest, most down-to-earth celebrity. He would talk to anybody about everything. And he was so appreciative that I knew, my brother and I knew all the movies that he was in. And all the, we were so in such huge fans of his work. And so I, I like I like when uh, you go to these conventions and they're stars. I think that they realize, because they're so used to answering the same questions over and over again. Mm-hmm. And to ask him something different or just yeah. acknowledge their talent. You know, like- and goes the extra mile. Yep, that's why I am. I I love doing my show because one of the most proudest things I've had. I mean, I don't know how much of. I know you watched the uh, Sarah Karloff interview. You said yes, but you did I mean, delightful. I have uh, thank you. I have um, compliments. I mean, I'm I actually made promos out of these, but from D Wallace, she was. I probably done a million of these interviews. I want to thank you for all the research and all the questions. And then Ted Neeler played Jesus and Jesus Christ Superstar. He goes, I have to stop this interview what you're doing is great this is one of the best interviews and so i've had so many people off the year too say that and so that's probably my biggest compliment because these people that i'm interviewing have been around for 35 40 years and for and they're being so genuine so i'm, I'm not asking them you to never speak. know where they're going to go in the interview either <laughs> yeah well no exactly and i've i've been i've had the best luck with it but i mean the amount of work i put into each show is staggering like i mean i i make sure like because i i look at different interviews and it's like all right they, they're asked this all the time i'm not even gonna talk about this or i look at my angle because i have so many different experiences of my own like i'm gonna put my spin on it and turn it around and it's yeah it's gone it's gone very well and i'm the latest one which i love the luck i have it's similar to what just happened with priscilla presley uh do you know constantinus he was on american idol well he was, I, I hate that show. I hate any kind of reality shows, but yeah. I, I met him at Chiller 
and I really didn't even care at first. But Michael then I was talking Constantine. To him. What was that? Uh, the actor Michael Constantine, or no, no, his his name is Constantine. That's his like he's sort of like a Madonna, like Constantine. That's it. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. But, but yeah, but he. Well, it's funny because I met him at Chiller. I'm like, I care less about American Idol. But I just said, uh, I went by and I said, hey, I realized that this guy has done so much. I mean, he's been in, he was in Rock of Ages. He was the main star in there. Then he, not in the movie, but in the Broadway play. He was in the movie for a Oh, little. okay. Then he did uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. He did all these different things. And I said, wow, you have a really interesting career. I'd love to have you in the show. And he goes, oh yeah, let's do this. So we went back and forth. He sort of lost contact with me. Then I saw him again. I said, I refreshed his memory. He goes, oh yeah, Rich, we got to do the show. All of a sudden, went back and forth, lost contact. So I was in New York last weekend, and I was looking to see a, a play, and there was something called Mr. Rock and Roll, and somebody said, I said, what's that about? And he goes, the woman said, well, it's about the guy that created the term rock and roll. I said, oh, you mean Alan Freed? She says, oh, you know who he is? So yeah, he's a DJ from the 50s, the whole payola skip. She goes, oh, you definitely know. Uh-huh. So and, um, they're like, yeah, Constantine starts. So, you know what? I'm going to check it out. I'm going to introduce myself once again to Constantine. So when I go to the play, I, don't realize, I didn't realize Joey Pantoliano is also in it. I don't know if you know who he is. You would know Joey. They call him Joey Pants. He's been in. Yeah, yeah, Joe Pantoliano. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's in Memento, Empire of the Sun. I mean, Bound. So many movies, hundreds of movies. So he was in it. And I met him at Chiller, too. So <laughs> at the end of the play, I'm waiting for them to come out. So I wanted to just introduce myself to Constantine. Joey came out. I said, hey, how's it going? I already met you before. I took a picture. So this woman says, sorry, you're going to have to leave. I said, ah, oh, damn it. I just wanted to introduce myself to Constantine because I was supposed to do an interview. And she goes, hold on, what do you do? And I, so I talked about who I was and she goes, well, I'm the writer and producer of this place. She goes, I can set it up everything. So I got to set up where I'm going to introduce, interview Joey Pants, Constantine and her. Oh, man. So I said, I just love my luck. I just sort of like fall into things. <laughs> oh, and take advantage of it. And I'm oh. glad you also just still have fun with it though, you know, because you see so many people who have connections galore and they're not even happy of being about someone's manager or what have you. And it's like, oh, come on. I know. I think sometimes it's funny too. I, I know another girl that does a podcast. And I think, and I said, you can get so many, cause she, she's this big Star Trek and that type of show fan. She goes on the Star Trek cruises. I said, why don't you get, why don't you get all these guests? You, they'll gladly do it. I'm all sure these other guessing. people have been in everything. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, she's, I think she's more like her, her boyfriend said that she's probably more intimidated. That's why she doesn't do it. And I said, ah, I said, you can't just, just get him. <laughs> so, but so for me, I just take any opportunity and every chance I can get, I make the most out of it. So I've been uh, doing that. And so wherever I go, like meet somebody, oh yeah, I'd love to have you on the show. And then that usually leads to something else. And Ride the tide. <laughs> yeah. So Anyway, as I knew we'd go off on a couple of tangents, the other movie I wanted to talk about was 1977, the second most, the second highest grossing movie of 1977, Steven Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. If it wasn't, it wasn't going to be Star Wars. Star Wars was number one, so it's cool yeah. to know that he still got that money. <laughs> yep. So again, the original copy, and also huge fan got the the photo novel. Oh <laughs> man! Look at that! Got the Oh, yeah, some great photos. Oh, yeah. Then got the making of. Damn, Bob Balaban. I didn't know he did a book on that. I know Lance Hendrickson mentioned some funny stories behind the scenes in his biography, but that's. I always love the photo books because half the time they're just kind of extended scenes, deleted scenes, or. Oh, yeah. Just promo images that somehow make you feel more more complete than when you're watching the movie. Yeah. No, I agree. This is. 
got to be my all-time favorite. It's like the the desktop book. Close. Holy shit! Oh wow! This has got. You are the mega fan of close. Yeah. You're yeah. pretty close to close. <laughs> Joy, I'm telling you, close encounters in the deep. And wait, this is probably the creme de la creme. Got the close encounters cards. Shit, dude, that's get it, get it. Wait, wait, the close encounters cards. <laughs> but, For those who can't see, that, that's that's good, man. That's yeah. good. So, as I'm, as you can see, I'm a huge fan of the movie, and did, I couldn't tell. No, how, <laughs> how how old were you? I mean, like I said, we're we have like a 20 year. Age. I was around 12 when I saw it on Good Times Home Video. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> so, what year was that? I'm curious. Uh, yeah, 2002, definitely. I, I, I got straight into movies. I had plenty of family who wanted to introduce us to all kinds of stuff, whether it was Monty Python or just other crowd-pleasing movies. So I, I saw pretty much most of the various blockbusters, whether it was on TV or just from video stores. And even if I couldn't see it, I found a way to watch them. You know, it just there's... There's so much stuff that people owe it to themselves to just, you know, just educate yourself on pop culture you know even if you're not a fan of it just see why people like these movies <laughs> yeah well i when the movie came out in 77 as i mentioned before i was nine years old but when i was as i mentioned also my father used to take my brother's night to almost every movie so we were huge ufo books like Doc, dr j allen Heineck, who wrote project blue book i was reading that book i was reading all these different things i was really much in ufos and when that movie came out, I could not wait for it to come out. I knew it was coming out, and we were just so excited to see it. And the date was – actually it took so long to make because of all the special effects and everything. It was supposed to come out in the summer of uh, 77, but because of all the technicalities and all the money, and it came out November 16th, It was the budget of $19.4 million, but it actually grossed $306 million. <laughs> And it actually set, I had to write this down, it set a one-week record of $17,393,654 from 12-26 to January 1st, <laughs> which I think is funny because now that's nothing. But right. remember, what movies, does that mean? <laughs> movies cost $1.25 back then. So imagine if it was made, if they cost $15. If like they it did it now. nowadays, yeah. <laughs> if you did it nowadays, people would be just so focused on the visuals instead of making the movie work. Yeah. Well, you know, you know what I love about that movie, as we mentioned before, is like you talk about what the deep have a slow burn. Now, this movie really has a slow burn. It just builds, perfect builds, kind of slow builds, burn. Yeah. builds. And for people who have never seen it, you got to check it out. But it's about this guy. His name, his name is Roy Neary. He's played by Richard Dreyfuss. He sees a UFO. And he becomes obsessed. And his owner is like, keeps on seeing these images in his head. He's like, what's going on? I don't know. He was, mm -hmm. He's losing his mind. He's, and there's one scene where he just goes crazy, takes the neighbor's chicken wire, dirt. Yes, he does. Yeah. And, and makes, and so while he's making this mountain, he has no idea what it is. On the TV, he sees Devil's Tower in Wyoming. And he's like, wait a minute. Yeah. So, so basically, so he, he makes, he and um, there's another character, um, Jillian Geiler, who was played by mm -hmm. Melinda Dillian, Dillian, who just recently died, unfortunately. But yes, they make, yeah, but so they make the trek over to Devil, and they have no idea why they're being summoned there. And so the you the aliens were telling him like the, some, 
that this is where we're going to be. We want you to be there. So it's just, you, we never looked at potatoes the same way again. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> How hey, could we? That's just like, what? Well, I guess that makes sense. I know. Well, you saw it in the potato, you saw it in the, in the shaving cream, you saw it in his pillow, you saw it in the, remember when uh, Barry was Plugs making the clues together. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, but it's such a, you know, it's funny. It's like, like, I think, I don't know if a movie like that would do as well today because. Yeah. Because it's not, all of a sudden, it's not like War of the Worlds. Where We're not as patient. Yeah. We, it seems like people only want a slow burn if it's just like a really well thought out revenge or psychological drama. And then it's, then we have all this other material too that makes us wonder if, yeah, it could work, but there's still going to be a crowd that just gets agitated or wants more boobs and explosions. <laughs> Which is funny because like at nine years old, I was, I love, that's not, all we had. <laughs> I can't remember how many times I've seen it. And it, part of it was because, you know, my father kept taking us, but I'd wanted to go. I loved the movie. I was never bored. And maybe at the time, I don't, maybe I didn't understand everything completely, but I understood it enough. It got your attention. Yeah, it got my attention and it moved you. Yeah, and it's it's funny because like uh, Spielberg was just coming off of Jaws. He was twenty seven years old, and he yeah. this was like his the UFOs were saying he always wanted to make a movie like one of his first movies that he made with his eight millimeter or not even was it his his video <laughs> camera was a I can't remember it was like um Watch the Skies it was called so he he always wanted to make a big version of that and he <laughs> he wrote the novel and in the novel. Roy, the character Roy Neri was this older guy. And Richard Dreyfus was like, oh my God, I love this. You got it. I want to be in the movie. So he rewrote the whole character to make it a younger guy to, uh, <laughs> so Richard Dreyfus could be in the movie. Wow. And, um, and you know who the, you know, it's funny, you know who he originally wanted, which I'm, I don't I, think, I, I don't think he I've actually thought. never heard about the original casting. So <laughs> right. Well, the original cast, and um, it's well documented because Spielberg says he wanted Steve McQueen. And Steve McQueen goes, he uses like this. He goes, they went to a bar and he's trying to keep up drinking. He goes, every time he had every fourth beer, I'd be drinking one beer, just trying to keep up with him. And he goes, I love the script. He goes, but I just can't cry in camera. And Spielberg goes, I'll change it. He goes, no, no, don't change a thing. I love it, but I just, it's just not for me. So then that's when uh, <laughs> Richard Dreyfus says, please, I want this. I want this. So, but he went, you know, one of my, you mentioned Bob Balaban who's a great actor. Yeah, I just saw he was the author of that book. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, he plays the interpreter in the movie. He's a, he's a cartographer, a map maker, and he's the one that puts everything together. But I love this story. And uh, in, when he tried out for the French interpreter, the only thing he knew of French was something that he learned, he remembered from high school. And his, he did that for the audition. And Spielberg goes, all right, we love it. You're hired. And he goes, shit, I don't know any other French. And he didn't tell Spielberg that. And so it wasn't until after. And Spielberg, <laughs> they had interviewed Spielberg after I was watching, reading the making of it. And Spielberg said, you know what? I love what Bob did. He goes, lie, do whatever you can to get your foot in the door, and then admit the truth later. Don't worry about it. So, there you go. I encourage my actress to lie. <laughs> because he wouldn't have gotten, if he told the truth, you never would have gotten a role. Yeah. I, you got to do what you got to do. That's wild how Spielberg encouraged him. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And then the the, the um, Jillian Geiler's small son, Barry Geiler, was played by Carrie Yuffie. He happened to be the casting director. He was in the same class as her nephew. And she happened to be there. She goes, oh, my God, you're perfect for this movie. So imagine just like being in school, nursery school. You want to be in a major motion picture? <laughs> <laughs> it's just eye-opening, too. 
because this is back when if you weren't like the last five grossing movies, you pretty much had to find other ways to just stand out. <laughs> yeah. Well, you yeah, well, you know, it's funny. Like, I mean, one of, one of uh, Spielberg's heroes is Francois Truffaut and he was able to get him to play Claude Lacombe, who was the, uh, the, the one who was sort of in charge of the whole getting the aliens to meet at devil's tower. Like, I'm not sure in the last time you saw this movie, but. Uh, it's been a minute, but I, I, I do love it legit. I do think it's just very well thought out. And even just anytime I see a reference to it, I instantly know uh, it's a Close Encounters moment. Oh, yeah. When you, and you know what's great? It's like, as I mentioned, the special effects are out of this world. And Douglas, was it? Oh, my God. Douglas, well, Carlo Rambaldi, who did King Kong, the 1976 version. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> he brought him in to make the alien. But Douglas Trumbull did all the special effects with the uh, the Devil's Tower and the 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 mothership and even the smaller ships. Rest in peace. Yeah, but they um, so there's one thing, a couple things that sort of made me angry with what Spielberg said later because, like in the movie, we talked about like he lose he doesn't really lose his mind. He doesn't know he's lo- he thinks he's losing his mind, but he's just basically being summoned by the aliens. And Spielberg said, well, if I wrote the movie now, I would never have a man leaving his family. I was like, it's a movie. And I thought it was a great story because, like, he's like, was he going to take his whole family? I mean, I think that's just it. He had just become a dad, so he thought about it differently. Yeah, no, that's exactly what happened. Similar to what he did with E.T., where he, there's a scene where they're... Um, the special edition has the cops replace their guns with uh, flashlights, <laughs> making yeah. them look more like rent-a-cop <laughs> security guards. Um, yeah, so to me, it's, I don't know. I, I, I don't like that. It's like, just keep it the way it is. I like the way it is. And nobody's offended by that. And we understand as you get older, you mature, you change the way you think. But... You would do it differently. I mean, that's why you do sequels or even just movies with a similar theme. You can just do it differently. Well, you know what's funny about sequels? I want to talk about that because this is a hilarious story. The The movie was rushed because there was, there was so much things that were going on weather he never had a movie set that wasn't heated back in the day and he just always seems to coast through these disasters <laughs> yeah well what happened was he says i didn't they he sort of forced release by like i said november 7th, 16th they wanted the movie out by christmas so he was, <laughs> all right so they said well i want to i want to redo some of the scenes and i want to make it the way it was supposed to be and they said the only way we'll redo it is if you show the inside of the ship because i don't want to show the inside of the ship i, I remember that yeah I, I did see that interview and that's yeah. why the special edition varies is like he it, basically you have the suspenseful version and the show you the cream of the crop version <laughs> yeah, pick, that, pick your own version of what you want to see well you know what's funny there's actually three versions of the film because yeah one, it's like a tv edit i think well, no, one, one, there's then four of them because one, I have the DVD of all three versions. I don't have the TV version, but the, <laughs> the one is the original. The second is the special edition where they show the inside of the ship. And the third one is the director's cut where he took how he wanted the film to actually be. Because he goes, I want the film, it's, I want it to be mysterious. He goes, people's imagination is much more, is much better and can see much more instead of like me showing them what the inside of the ship looks like. I want them to look up and say, I wonder what that looks like and then they just imagine it. and i, I love the way he did the, you know originally did that <laughs> but and, and this is and it's funny i didn't even pick this for this reason but i remember my mother taking my brothers and i to drive in to go see the deep and close encounters 
and we thought Close Encounters was a sequel. It was like, yeah. And my Austin, we're watching. My, all I remember, my mother go, "This isn't a sequel." And my brothers and I are laughing now. We're like, "How could they not think? How would they think it's a sequel? It's only, you know, it's only been a like less than a year later." But yeah, you know, we were all young, and they that really wasn't a you know the what they special editions weren't really a thing back then. He was like one of the first people to actually do that. So <laughs> we were we're like, "This is weird. This is a different movie. Or it's the same movie." So I remember going to the drive up. So we watched it again for like the probably like the fifteenth time. <laughs> and do you think it and et are in the same universe in your mind i like close encounters better but i love et like i think that um, oh, it's all good yeah and you would you know i feel bad for it goes for with et um one of my which we talked about i think on your show um john carpenter's yes. thing is one of my all-time favorite movies and mm-hmm. it unfortunately came out the same year as et which i think is stupid because why can't you have old, you know, good alien, bad alien? They're both great movies. Why can't you like you can both? have both? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I and I remember I love both the devs, and which was weird for my father because my father's the one movie that scared the shit out of him was the original <laughs> thing with James Arness, and so I thought he would never like John Carpenter's the thing, and he loved it. So I've seen that one like I don't know how many times at the drive-in. Oh, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, but but Close Encounters, I just thought was very original very imaginative the special effects were i mean there's still they, we i think you and i talked about earlier mm-hmm. some movies are just timeless some people's look aged and you could tell like oh boy you could tell this is a 1970s movie this movie you could play it today and people are wow when when was this released because you, you really can't tell because it still looks very fresh today i saw it recently and it's just Oh, it's, it's a movie that I can, as you can see from all the different things I have, but a movie I can never get sick of. Absolutely. Uh, there's just some movies, that they, they just remind you of why you're human even. Yeah. What you value in life. Now you mentioned, um, are you a filmmaker? I, I used to do some independent film. I, I still help out some of my other buddies. I, I just had to take some breaks, you know, uh, because even before COVID, I was just encountering so many time wasters, but I, I'm working on some audio dramas now and I've, I just got to write out some more of them and figure out who's going to do what voice. <laughs> oh, very well. well, you know, it's funny. I'm not sure if you know, it's about me. I, this whole show started from another radio show I do called Nutmeg Junction, where it's oh. a play. It pays homage to all the radio serials of the fifties. Oh, lovely. And, and so I do different voices. I'm doing, I was supposed to do one Tuesday, but I'm not sure. I think I'm, I'm going to be in Cape Cod visiting my parents. So I'm going to have to read, said another day to do it. But yes, I get there. The show that, uh, that show is in New Zealand, Australia, all over the U.S. So, I mean, it's, it's actually, it's on smaller AM stations, but still, we're all over is the world. I love, I love it. So, yeah, if you're ever looking for somebody and need a voice, I would be more than happy to do it. I, okay, sure. I'll put you down, man. Yeah, definitely. Please. I, I love doing stuff like that. I have so much fun do, doing the different voices and, and you know, I love original content. So, that's, it's, I didn't realize that you were doing that. That's awesome. Yeah, man. I, Pete, there's so many storytellers out there. It's ridiculous. You know, people got to just embrace it <laughs> well, exactly and i think that most people well not i shouldn't say most people but people just like take the easy way and like oh let me just do something that was already been done or let me do this like, i like i like yeah. something that's original not done before and i know there's um, pretty much everything has been done but there's a way to make things original so I, so many different ways <laughs> so f- let's give you a little bit of plugs for my viewers that don't know who sure. you are where uh, where can they find some of your movies? Where can they find some of your audio? Yeah, Jacked Up Review Show is on Spotify, Podbean, and 
anger and more and we we just do all kinds of different uh just you know pop culture dissects whether it's a movie franchise ranking whether it's a tv show summary or even a music band retrospect we want to just give some praise to all kinds of stuff whether it's mainstream or cult <laughs> yeah what are some of the movies you've done uh we, we've done a few different uh franchises we've covered uh works by the likes of david cronenberg uh paul verhoven and uh you know obviously plenty of the other guys that we're, we're thinking of starting up and maybe doing some different movies and shows uh like but like picking a theme like here's some legal drama starring denzel washington here we, we just did a fun crossover with uh, another Aussie podcast where we were like, hey, let, let's do a double feature of like two movies about the dangers of TV starring Jim Carrey. I'm sure you know those. Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do also some theme trilogies. Like here are uh, four demonic possession movies by, you know, William Freakin. Here are some uh, free body horror movies that are kind of an unofficial theme trilogy by, you know, uh, this filmmaker. You know, and you want to always give some kind of fun retrospect and just show why this is the signature of their this particular filmmaker's career <laughs> i have to say probably one of william freakin's favorite movies of mine is bug i love uh, yeah movie. i promise you we will talk that one <laughs> that's such an intense movie and uh, michael shannon that's when i realized i said i don't know who this guy is at the time now i know who he is i anything he does like i just right? I watched The Shelter recently because I said, oh, he's in this movie. I don't know if you saw that one. Yeah, about... I get Shelter. Yeah. Yeah, it takes Yeah. So I watched it. So it's just anything that he's in now. And it was all came from Buggy. He and Ashley Judd, which she was phenomenal as well. She was great. Yeah. And so, yeah. I believe it. And um, what was the other one? Was it To Live and Die in L.A.? He did that one too, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's another good one. Yeah, we yes. definitely. Have you, have you already done? I know you and I were talking about doing Well, I mean, even if you did it on your show, we could do it on my show. We could do like a William Freakin night. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. I, I'd love to revisit him again. And uh, just in general, just kind of some, uh, you know, when, when we analyze their work, we do want to kind of just do more than just a run by, run by oh, yeah. of each scene. We want to also just say, you know, uh, how should you see this movie? Should you stream it? Should you do a mild rental? Should you get the original Criterion DVD or Blu-ray? <laughs> oh, yeah. Should you set up your own projector? Should you go see a screening of it for the best impact? We always like to kind of give a little technical merit instead of just, is it streaming? It's like, well, no, that's irrelevant. Like, if you're a fan, you're you're going to find it wherever you can. <laughs> but I'm glad you mentioned it because I, I get so angry with people and say like, oh, movie theaters are thing in the past i like streaming like, no way i love the theatrical experience i love yeah being on a huge screen when people that are enjoying it as well and you're it's like it's like a big it brings you to life yeah and it's just and i love the popcorn the sun, just everything about the theater the sound like i saw oppenheimer and imax bam it blew me away the music yeah stuff, i just it, there's no way you're gonna get the kind of effect watching a movie on your phone i'm sorry no and you gotta also just see just set your standards. Like how big a fan are you of this filmmaker? You know, if it's a spectacle, you definitely, that's where it deserves to be seen in theater. And then there's other ones where, okay, maybe the movie's not all that, but make sure you're like, I saw the newest mission impossible. If oh. I didn't think it was really all that, but we decided, Hey, how about we just, uh, uh, <laughs> just see it with a crowd that kind of likes kind of crazy action movies. So, you know, you, you, you do that too. And that, that makes a difference. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I can tell you, it's like just, I mean, I saw it 
all the Evil Dead in the in the theater when they first came out. Like I don't know how. Oh I, wow. Yeah. So I mean, I, but watching it was I think we I don't know if I talked about this with you, but I loved Evil Dead. Evil Dead Two was great, and then when I saw Army of Darkness, I'm like, oh, something. But then years later. They have the where <laughs> I live in Connecticut. They have this thing called Insomnia Theater. So they show movies. Ah, oh, lovely. And they, and they had, and then, but when you had everybody in the audience reciting lines like "groovy" or like "this You're is my heaven. boomstick," and it's like I had a much better appreciation because I think, like you know, when I was younger, it's like this is. I mean, he started to get kind of you know with the humor, sick of certain things, yeah, a little more slapstick. <laughs> but yeah, it was like really slapstick in uh, Army of Darkness. It doesn't help that there's like six years in between each movie. <laughs> yeah, but I had so, so much a better appreciation seeing it with a crowd, seeing it and everybody screaming the lines. We're having a great time. I mean, Good, I'm huge bad. Piece. I'm the guy with the gun. <laughs> First, you want to kiss me. Now you want to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's movies. I, I well, I'm a huge Bruce Campbell fan. I think that, that I, I told rolls. you my Bruce Campbell story, right? I uh, know. I love to hear. All right, I'll send you the pictures too. It's hilarious. This was 1990, and I remember it so clearly because he was there promoting Army of Darkness. He's in New York, Fangoria Theater. My friends and I were staying the whole weekend, so it was around two o'clock in the morning. We're all drinking. The elevator opens up. Out walks Linnea Quigley, Gunnar Hansen, Bruce Campbell. Oh my God. So um, I said, Bruce, how's it going? He's like, hey, so, so Linnea quickly put to Rich, I think you're sexy, love Linnea. So then Bruce goes, give me that, give me that. He goes to Rich, I think you're sexy too, love Ash. He's, he's just a cool guy. So that's great. I said, Bruce, man, are there any parties around here? It's, it's like, the bars are closing. Go on the 10th floor. I said, really? Just go on the 10th floor. Tell them you know me. I'll let, they'll let you. And they, I got, I got, clout here so all right so my friends and i go into the floor. <laughs> nothing on that floor but janitor closets so the next day i saw him at the in the walking around the lobby say hey, bruce thanks a lot for the party so he had his wife or his girlfriend with you honey that's the asshole i was talking about last night so i got a picture where i'm choking him and i'll show you the picture too i have <laughs> on my shirt he goes to rich see you at the party love ash <laughs> he is exactly what ash is like what he advertises <laughs> yeah the, the care he's got such a great sense and you know what i love about him just like reggie he embraces his fans he knows that people are there for him and he definitely plays it up has a great time talks to everybody and it, you know it's, cool. it's great yeah because I mean, i've heard good things and i've seen interviews with him I, and I, I like how he's also straight up i'm not going to do your shitty action movie yeah, yeah. <laughs> shitty horror movie sorry it needs a budget <laughs> Yeah, and like, i can't blame him for being picky like he's one of those like he could say a politically incorrect thing and i'd be like yeah that that that, that checks out yeah you know, he well he can, he can yeah. do what he wants to do because he's <laughs> yeah i mean well I mean, he he can really act and i loved i mean i'm sure you remember yeah. the tv show the adventures of briscoe county jr that was a great tv show uh he did say he's interested in developing a second season of that and i, I really do hope he follows up with it because oh, really? he deserves it well, one of my, I mean, you know what I love is uh, I, I knew it was going to be okay, but I did not think it was going to be this good. It was Ash versus Evil Dead. That was yeah, that was phenomenal. I was, I was ex extremely happy with that one because I said, you know, I stars gave such a BS excuse for canceling it. It's like, what is up with you guys? Surprised by that? It was, it was like three seasons. It gave them pretty plenty of reasonable uh, ratings. Just yeah, so dumb. I have no idea. Like I was, I whatever 
platform it's on. I bought it just for that. Our show got pirated. Well, that just means people really, really like it, and you're doing something right. I know. That, that's just a lame excuse. Uh, you can't see... I mean, Game of Thrones was pirated. You didn't see HBO canceling it. No, exactly. I mean, look what's happening with Netflix. In the beginning, Netflix, they knew where they were being, or people were just using the same password and username, and they said they didn't really care. But yeah. now there's a lot of competition because everybody has a streaming service now. No so they're like, shit. all right, we're going to get straighter. We're going to get a little bit you know, stronger with the, with the restrictions. And yeah, I don't blame them in a way. Because at first, they didn't care if they lost money because they were gaining so many new customers. They were the only show in town. Now everybody has a streaming service. So, I mean, they, yeah, that's just everybody. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's just a lame excuse to say, you know what? We just don't really feel like doing another season. But, but I, in I, all fairness, I think the reason it works so well is if you look real closely, literally every season is like a tribute to each installment in the trilogy. Like season one is a total, like, let's experiment with more practical gore. Like, yeah. the first one part two they tell you exactly what happened in the house of evil dead 2 and then part three literally like army of darkness where it's ash versus the world and yeah all of hell <laughs> yeah and you know what's did you see the latest movie i i, I need to i can't wait uh what, I liked what, what it. was your thought oh, it was really fun i liked it yeah and people were like going oh my god this is an evil dead this, i thought it was great and there's actually a cameo i'm not gonna tell him tell you right now there's a cameo by Bruce Campbell. It was funny because I, of course, I, well, I was waiting for it. I mean, he was in the remake slash reboot. So. Oh yeah, and that actually wasn't too bad either. I was surprised that like it wasn't Evil Dead. Didn't have the charisma. Bruce didn't have the. It's it just something. It was a good. It doesn't movie. need to, you know. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but this one was much maybe because I went in there with such low expectations. I was really impressed with how they did it. I thought I loved it, and I, I, I definitely want to see it again. I, I think I'm I'm curious when you see this, um, you know, what we should do we should do that should be another show we should do the Evil Dead, like all the Evil Deads, the original Sam Raimi versions, the sure, remake. Yeah, the, the, let me know when you want to do that. I'll I'll, I'll rewatch the uh, remake and see this new one and I'll get ready to rank them. <laughs> I know I'm overdue anyway. I've just been getting my life back together post insomnia. <laughs> Here's something I recommend everyone check out the Muse headband. It'll help you with your concentration and focus and help lull you back to sleep. Also, if you're just having a tough night, Wait, what is medication, this? Uh, Muse headband, like musings. M-U-S-E. Oh, okay. I, got, I have to check that. I never even heard of it. So that, that yeah, really, really uh, helps you out. Uh, I can't if sleep it's too well. pricey for you, just do an installment plan, like in four, four parts, uh, uh, totally worth it. It's funny. I'm on the melatonin diet. I've been on the melatonin diet for like. I used to too. It's just I grew out of it somehow. Like I just stopped working one day. Then I got to Delta Eight, and that increased my anxiety, even though it was oh, so man. tasty. Those gummies, man. <laughs> I'm oh, practically man. getting high, but I'm just. Then it got to I was trying other stuff, and it would just vary each night. And then I just said, I'm not going to keep doing this. I need my sleep. <laughs> Well, it's funny that you mentioned like melatonin network because I, I went from started with one pill, three milligrams to uh, now I'm up to 40 milligrams. Oh, man. Yeah. So that it's, it's, definitely have to stop because like my body gets becomes acclimated with it. And then like, all right, well, I have to increase. So I, I can't keep doing that. But yeah, so it's, it's getting to the point where because it takes I have to take it like about an hour before I get out of bed because I'll be up all night. Like even last night, I got home from Oppenheimer around 10. 10 30 at night uh, cutting it I, gotta close. Get up, I, gotta, I have to get up at 4 30 in the morning to go to a gym it's like oh so i just uh, i took it right away and hope yeah. for the best 
So yeah, that, that's the other thing too. People think it's just take the pill, but it's also consistency. And if yeah. you don't have any consistency and if you're not, I had to get back into just doing some walks and uh, swimming, but that's good too. Just vent your body, do some, some kind of exercise, even if it's just light. Oh yeah. No, I have, I have three trainers that I work out with uh, three times oh. a week. So I, I definitely, in the last year, I lost over 55 pounds. So definitely what I, Look at you go. I feel so much. If you watch some of the old interviews, you're going to laugh because somebody, <laughs> the guy that edits this, his name is Rob Bull. Great guy. If Rob, if you watch the show, thank you very much for all you do. But he puts it on Spotify, iTunes, Patreon radio, all that stuff. And, uh, <laughs> but he goes, oh my God, I was watching the old interviews. Wow. What, that's, what a transformation. I started laughing because I forget about it. Cause it's, I've been like this for, you know, maybe like close to a year now, but it's, it's funny. Like when <laughs> hey, I, you know, anything you back, do to evolve, man, that oh, yeah, makes no, exactly. your body feel better, whether it's, yeah, I, I recommend also electrolyte sprays. They can help you with muscle cramps. Okay. So let's say you just turned your neck a little sideways in bed and it's just annoying the shit out of you. <laughs> All right. See, look at, see, the show has everything for everybody. Movies. There you go. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> nutrition expert cam sully over here i i wish i i am going to review a few more of those people just because it's just calming it yeah. it beats you know i interview all other kinds of crazy b-movie celebs even just other people who are martial artists or even adult film stars it's just always fun to just get a different world and have it explained to someone who can't otherwise understand it comprehend it no, see, I love, I love that. And that's I actually said the same thing about my show. I love talking. To, somebody goes, "Who do you have in your show?" Is it anybody that's interesting? I don't care. It's like they could. I don't care what you. If they funny. can fill a room, that's even just as good as a TED talk. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. And I, I love talking to people. I mean, I've had spelunkers, cave explorers. I love having you so, on. Right I here. love having there, anyone who wants to just book a guest. Ask yeah. your friend. Ask his neighbor. Ask your f- sibling's friend who you have something in common with. You know, and just. Get them up. Go do yep. it. Yep. So how long, how long have you been doing your show? Uh, since fall of 2019. So we did it just right just as COVID just fucked us over. And uh, I, and we just set, stuck with it because I just saw the increase in just creativity. You know, people were leaving YouTube and doing just more different stuff. Uh, I, I still am at awe of how there's a community for everybody there. If you don't even listen to a podcast, you're probably on Twitch. You're probably on TikTok. There. There is something for your audience that will get you up in the morning and give you a chuckle, yeah. make you make, blow your mind and make you learn something. Yep. Well, it's funny you say because I've started the show right around the same time. And actually, COVID helped me out because I was doing it at a radio station and I could only do the show if the guest was in the studio. I couldn't do any phone interviews. Oh, man. No, but it worked out perfect because John, another great guy, John Bristol of Elmwood Productions, check out him. He, he makes horror movies, comedies, dramas, all with puppets. But he was my I last guest. This guy. Yeah, it's great. You got to check out Elmwood Productions. He was my last guest of um, 2020 in March. No, sorry, February. And then we did the show and he realized just like me and you were talking, he goes, we got to do a movie show. This is how this show started. He goes, he goes let's do a show on YouTube and we'll, we'll do it. Like if you ever watch Real Talk, uh, some of the other ones, the guy who I co-host with. So I said, all right. And then bam. COVID hit. So he goes, well, why don't you continue doing your other show? I'll, I'll edit that too. I said, all right, thank you. And then because of that, I was able to get all these other guests that, you know, like keep those connections close. 
Exactly. So it's uh, so once again, John, I'm extremely appreciative of everything you've done for the show. And I appreciate it. Yeah, so it all helped. Everything just fell. As I mentioned before, so I have the great luck, but I also take advantage and take make the most out of every door that opens for me. I'm not going to just be like, you know, oh, okay, I guess it's like you said, like, you know, if they wait too long, Maybe. Do this, just yeah. <laughs> make excuses why they don't want to do it. Nope. Just get off your ass and do it. Have fun with it. Yeah, which I have been. I've I've met so many great people. And the best thing is, I've. I mean, I'm just using this as an example from the movies I'm thinking of. My some of my best movies growing up were um, Jaws, um, Jesus Christ Superstar, The Warriors, Phantasm, and uh, I'm trying to think of the other one. But I, I've interviewed people from all of those movies, and the best part is, I've been able to, like they are the nicest people, and I've actually become friends with them. Like, like I said, the guy from the Warriors invited me down to New York to hang out with his acting studio. The other one, was, oh yeah, we'll see my band play. So it's, it's it I love the fact. That, what was that? It, it was a trading of favors, kind of. Yeah, yeah, because they're they're appreciative that strings attached to hear their story, and I'm appreciative just for them to be, be on the show telling your story. And it's so it's it's, it's been it's been so it's much eye opening too. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, I mean, there's so many horrible things to say about social media and I'm with those people, but social media also open oh, we up all are. different uh, things. If you use it for the right things, you can get a lot out of it. Absolutely. Uh, anytime I see people doing a hot take, I'm like out, <laughs> I'm going downstairs now. <laughs> yep. uh, turning off the laptop in five, four, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the only thing Value I'm your up- time value it oh, definitely you only get one life to fuck around <laughs> exactly i love that attitude well do you have anything that you want to talk about with close encounters or getting back to that movie uh, uh i just if anyone you know there's apparently the blu-ray i think has all three versions so if anyone wants to check out uh that i recommend that if anyone wants to get introduced to it you know if if you're there's a lot of local cinemas that have been showing remastered movies from earlier periods that if you get an invite or if you somehow have not seen it or want to introduce it to someone it's probably one of the easier movies that you can get someone interested in even if they're not keen on stuff from an earlier period just yeah well, you know, well what i love about that is like now they're having like the 35th anniversary the 40th anniversary so yeah, now oh, yeah re-releasing it's like a, not too long, a couple of years ago, I saw Close Encounters in the theater. I forgot it was like the, what was 77? So whatever, it was like five years ago, I saw the, <laughs> whatever anniversary that was. And then Shining just had an anniversary because it came out in 19. So I mean, there's so many, I love the fact that they're doing that because it's introducing the audience to, I mean, newer audiences to these movies that maybe they heard of, but never saw. And uh, never- I call it the Mystery Science Theater effect. It used to be, it was frowned upon if you talked shit during a movie, but now- yeah. People kind of know about, you know, with Joe Bob and Elvira, everyone's seen some variation of a crazy 2 a.m. midnight movie that you watch with pals and you have a chuckle and a drink over. And, you right. know, it's it seems like we're just slowly same deal with these movies just making them be part of your just like classic rock music, you know, and metal. You you it goes in stages, but you can in, still appreciate an earlier period and instead of just browsing through a Wikipedia page saying, I know everything. No, no, no. You got to experience it still. Like yeah. uh, if you go to a Dawn, in, Dawn of the Dead screening, that it's going to be the ultimate party movie. It's going to, uh, cause much like you said with Evil Dead, people will be 
recycling dialogue from it. They know it inch by inch. Uh, Monty Python and Holy Grail or Life of Brian, same kind of deal. You will just, you'll be in it to win it. You will want to conquer the movie together with pals because you appreciate what the filmmakers made and you love just every frame, every scene. <laughs> well, it's funny that you said that about the movies and, and there's a, a line from Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting and I love this. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, to, probably know what I'm talking about. Where he said, he goes like this, you could tell me who painted this, you could tell me what this, but can you tell me how the Sistine Chapel smells? Can you tell me how, what it was like? Because you could, you know everything because you read it in a book. You didn't live it. You weren't there. You yeah. Know? And so it's the same thing with the movies. Yeah, you can read anything you want in Wikipedia. I can give you every fact about this movie, but until you uh, actually sit <laughs> in a theater, popcorn, soda, however you like the movie, watch it. And then you experience a movie it that makes me wish that that was a real professor. <laughs> oh my god, he, yeah, he was the best. And he, the funny thing was, is that he made up most of those lines on, on his own. Like, if, I'm sure you remember the scene where he was talking about his wife and she goes, She accidentally, yeah, didn't he allow that tragic moment? Yeah, and you see, you see Matt Damon trying not to laugh. <laughs> oh, damn. Because they said he, I had no idea he, where he was going with this story. And he's telling me, like, Yeah, she was so loud, she woke, I had to blame the dog, she woke herself up. <laughs> I have the heart to tell her. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the, but what made me I love that line because it's so true. And, and since we're talking about movies, like you just because you read something and know all the facts, if you don't live it and experience it, it's still not the same as knowing it. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, you have to embrace it. You have to live it, not just say, I think I know everything. That's just as yeah. bad as skipping out during history class. Oh, exactly. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm so glad I'm at least the age I am. Cause there's, I got to grow up all these movies that we're talking about. I got to grow up and actually see firsthand, but the good thing is for people who are younger can go back. And like you said, they're re-releasing them in theaters or you can get it on Blu-ray and just, you have your own little party. I get fun when you mentioned Robin Williams cracking Matt Damon up. I, did you ever hear the story? Uh, it was like Pierce Brosnan. He was promoting one of his newer spy movies on Conan. And he talked about how, Robin Williams had unfortunately passed around that time, I think. Yep. Uh, 2014, I think. Yeah, 2014. Yeah, so there you go. And so he asked him to speak about him, and he, he had hysterical stories about working with him on the set of uh, Miss Doubtfire. And it was like, <laughs> half the time, it was like in between takes, they'd have to send the kids into another room. They're like, oh, careful. Robin's going to get naughty here. <laughs> That's... <laughs> And so next thing you know, is like they're practicing and staging a scene, but Robin just can't help himself. You know, it, it, it reminds me of how the birdcage, there's several moments where the camera is shaking for no reason. And that's because the cinematographers are just trying to not guffaw to death. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, you know, it's funny. I was speaking of people that improv, I was talking, you, you might've heard it on with Sarah Karloff, but also I was talking to Victoria Price, who was Vincent Price's daughter. And she was talking about how oh, uh, Boris Karloff, Hated to improvise. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, Peter Lorre loved to improvise. Vincent Price was somewhere <laughs> in the middle. So Boris Karloff was like very serious, very like, um, I want to say Shakespearean, but he was more like, you know, very educated and like the ghost. <laughs> so Peter Lorre would come on, he'd get so angry and tell the director, you have to stop this guy. So Vincent, according to Victoria stop Price, <laughs> Victoria said that her father was said, you know what? You do a little bit of this, you do a little bit of that. And he was sort of like counting them both down. And he goes, after a while, Boris Karloff started to improvise a little bit and Peter Laurie went more with the script. So so the reason I bring that up is like, 
can only imagine like being an actor on the set and they're like some guy comes out and you have your lines ready and all of a sudden <laughs> Williams comes out like what the hell am i gonna react to this what but is going on here <laughs> you just relax and have fun i used to do improv if you relax and have fun with it just say whatever you're thinking don't actually improv is amazing how, how they teach you is don't think just the first thing that comes out of your mouth just say or i mean the first thing that you write it out in your head yeah and I, that i used to do stand-up comedy and that helped me a lot with stand-up comedy learning that I, did you really love doing stand-up yeah i did because the one the yeah. one good thing of me is i can give a shit less what anybody thinks about me so i mean i got booed before i got to and I, the more uh, and actually i've had people say you like it more when people hate you i said i think it's hilarious i said i really it doesn't really bother me at all right if you think this is the most offensive comedy you haven't seen much bad comedy and i always say it's like who cares if they don't like me what's the worst that's going to happen it's not like i'm going to get off stage and drop dead I'll go to a show tomorrow. They're not going to shoot your throat tomatoes. We're in too, we're in a way better place than we used to be. <laughs> exactly. So I, I, it never bothered me. And that's, I mean, I've done, I don't know if I told you my history, but like over the years, I've been in bands, I've been in radio, I've done stamp comedy, I wrote a book, I did motivational speaking. Now I'm doing the radio show slash podcast. So I've done all these different things. And there's people that are going to love it, people that are going to hate it. So I just don't really care. Inevitably, yeah. You're going to have, people who just want to bitch slap someone and you're like you clearly weren't spanked much as a kid <laughs> well it's funny that what i encountered over the years the most the people that and actually i had somebody say this to me uh, this maybe um most of the people are the ones that wish that they they could do it but they don't have the balls to do it or they don't have the talent and then one time i was in radio and some guy goes you're you're just an overachiever this and i said whoa where's this come from he goes all right man i'm just i'm just jealous because anything you go for you usually get and i wish i could be like you i was like aha so that's why when sometimes when people are hating on you it's more because they wish they could be doing it and i always i always think about that i'm like that's why it never, really, <laughs> never really bothers me. It's like, whatever. It's like, you know what? Somebody goes, oh, I'm sorry you're bothered. <laughs> what? No, I said, I said, well, he was like, oh, I could do that. So I said, well, then do it. Shut up and get your own show. Well, it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> I, so that's why I found comedy funny because like so many people were, well, it's funny because everybody's like, how come you're always in a good mood? I said, what do you mean? Why wouldn't you want to be? Well, no, I said, I'm having fun. And they said, you're having fun doing comedy? And I said, well, what do you do comedy for? They thought they were going to get up there at an open mic and do like, you know, get a five special comedy central deal. It's like, no, that's, that's not, not how this works. It may never happen. That doesn't mean you stop being funny. You know, you can still, there's plenty of these other comedians who haven't had any live comedy in a while, but they're busy doing talk shows and other live stuff. So good for them. They're keeping their dream alive. They're getting rewarded. I'm going to, I'll tell you one more story of how, you make the most out of every opportunity. I went to visit my friend in Nashville, he and his wife, and we went to go see Jeff Ross, the Roastmaster General. Oh, I love that man. Yeah. All right, you're gonna love this story then. So I was in the upper deck. Austin, he goes, I'm gonna try something new. He goes, I'm gonna bring people up on stage and roast them. So they're like, go, and I ran all the way, just made it on stage. So I have cerebral palsy. So, uh, oh, wow. Guy, like my hand. So the guy, Jeff Ross goes, so um, um, what, 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 what do you say? He goes, so what do you do? I said, well, I told him what I do during the day. I said, I have a job during the day. I'm a stand-up comedian by night. And all of a sudden he goes, uh, <laughs> and I said, I said, uh, I said something about, he goes, oh, stand-up comedian. And he goes, I said, yeah, it's my big break. And he goes, hey, it looks like you already had your big break. He starts making fun of my hand. So we're laughing. Oh, no, 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 it's great though. So then I hear, I hear people in the audience go, give him the mic, give him the mic, give him the mic. Started a chant. And the whole, it was Zany's huge comedy club they want you to fight back <laughs> yeah no no this is what they're telling jeff ross to give me the mic so jeff ross is like you know when you have something funny to say i'll get back to you so he roasts 
everybody else on stage, he comes back, he goes, here you go. He let me do 15 minutes of stand-up. The oh, nice. best time. I got, I'm, I'm not even kidding. When I said, I, the audience was screaming and cheering so loud, I couldn't even hear myself talk. They were going nuts. They loved it. It was so great. And uh, <laughs> so later on, he was, he said, you know what? He goes, my friend's band is playing. This is he's talking to the audience. My friend's band is playing down the street. Everybody should go check them out. So we're like, yeah, let's go check it out. I walked in there. <laughs> the band stops. Hey, not only is this a great guy, he's a great stand comedian. He brought me up on stage. When I, when I got up on stage at the other club, Jeff Ross walks in. He goes, what the fuck? Everywhere I go, I see you. And so we started talking. He is such a cool guy. And so, so down to earth. And, it's, and it all goes back to like, I said when something when you see the opportunity just make the most out of it and go for it totally yep. don't wait for permission <laughs> no no exactly so like you know with uh, like with bruce campbell with him and uh, like now joey pants so, <laughs> i'm sure he's still sick of being called that but who cares you know he yeah. didn't call it anyway yeah no, he, he you know it's funny he's another one that's like such a nice guy and he's so talented like, I mean, I talked to him several times. I've heard, yeah. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to interview him because he's another one. Some, some might, the longest show I've ever done was five hours. The, uh, there's a singer from the Bad Brains, but I could probably talk to, like, I always say, when people say, when's the interview end? I said, whenever we have nothing else to talk about. So sometimes people say, well, I got to go. But I remember the guy from the Bad Brains goes, I said, finally, I said, I said, I got to go. He said, oh, man, we got to do a part two. So I did a part two with over, with over three hours. So I, I, I've done over eight hours of interviews with this guy, but so, I mean, I'll, I'll it's worth it because those are the stories you also remember because yes. it's not just, you know, bleed out your guts to me. It's also, man, I don't just, I don't, I'm not jealous of you. I wish I could do what you do because you got reward from it. Yeah. Yeah. And, but there's, uh, I, for the most part, because they could tell when somebody's really like the, some I, I can send you some like promos to show you like what people are saying and then they're like you know what sometimes i get these this is what ted neely from jesus christ super studies these <laughs> interviews and you don't want a bad mouth anymore you can tell when they're not they're just like not even into it but like when i'm interviewing yeah. somebody i'm really into it, i'm having a great time and i'm really interested in what they're saying so they love that and so they feed off of me and i'm feeding off of them and then we'll just keep next i remember like when i interviewed somebody and he goes holy shit it's been four and a half hours i said and I was wondering why I was getting hungry. Like he didn't realize, <laughs> he didn't realize that we were talking that line. I, I love that. It went by endlessly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. And speaking and, of uh, shows. And you'll remember those experiences just like it was yesterday. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, Cam, it's definitely great having you on the show. Speaking of Anytime, shows. my dude. Thank you. And um, I said, I could probably talk another three hours. I love <laughs> these movies. I highly recommend that everybody check out the deep close encounters and we're definitely going to have more shows with cam sully we mentioned already we're going to be doing the william freakin hour the hey, Evil Dead show we're gonna, uh, everything's all the dominoes are falling into place man they're, i love it happen oh yeah i'm definitely looking forward to this i have to do uh i mean we're i not, know i've we're seen bummed by freaking passing away but it's not going to stop us with what we want to do which is i know i mean honor he, he left his legacy on the screen. So the best part is we can go back and remember him whenever we want. So right? he, he made so many great movies. You know what's funny? I want to talk about that a little bit. I'm sure you heard what he was like during The Exorcist, right? Oh, Ellen Burstyn. That's her name. She's, yes. She's, Ellen Burstyn, she's going to be in the, new, in the sequel to The Exorcist. Mm -hmm. But 
Um, I'm, I'm not sure if you know like how he was in the Exodus because he wanted he's all he was about very authors. intense. Yeah. yeah. And so there was one scene where she was supposed to get encouraging pulled. method acting. He'd yeah. slap someone if they were just misbehaving and just not getting it. <laughs> well, no, the, the scene you're talking about is all right. So at the end of the movie, Father. I'm Karen, thinking of Jade. My bad. I remember he slapped an actress on the set of that, just saying, get going. Well, no. I need you in the zone. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, William Freakin did slap somebody. And this is what happened because I. Oh. <laughs> um, the scene where Father Karras gets thrown out the window or pushed out and falls, and, and then the other. The older priest is like looking at him, and he's like doing like you know the 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 prayer over him. And so William Freeman goes like, "It just doesn't seem believable." And he goes, "Do you trust?" Me? <laughs> he goes, "Do you trust me?" Yeah, why? So he said, "Bam!" Slapped him across the face real hard. And he goes, "No go." And if you watch the scene again, you're gonna see the guy's hand going like this. It's shaking. He goes, "He goes, oh, he, man. you know what the hell just happened?" The guy's slipped. And then Ellen Burstyn. She says, I hurt my back. Please don't pull me because there's a scene where she gets thrown across the bedroom. And you know, so William Freaking said, give me that. So when she wasn't paying attention, he pulled her in, yanked her across the room, yanked out her whole back. So, I mean, they would never be able to get away with stuff like that. Right? No. But, but it didn't He intended himself well versus the other guys who you'll hear about people wanting to trip because they were such pricks. And he was just one of those. It, he could be an asshole, but he wasn't doing it yeah. to get off on it or anything you know he's not like a weinstein who would just make yeah. up rumors about people who wouldn't give him a blowjob you know <laughs> no, exactly he just he was just intense and he wanted the best performance out of his actors and he found i mean he's actually filming the french connection scene he is in that car ready to get get in a car crash because yeah, well, actually... he believed he had to be in the scene with the actor and i'm sure i saw the making of that too did you hear that nobody they were never told that they were filming that that chase sequence yeah they're no driving through, yeah they were driving through and people were actually running like almost getting hit trying to get out of the way of the car that's why i love raw movies like that in the original terminator where you're just like see i want to be just uh what's it called for when you're being a rebel and you're filming without rogue gorilla filming yeah. yeah i love it i love it and it can be done but you got you can't do it for every part of the movie but you can do it for X amounts if it's like a private meeting or just down a street. Just walk, go. Make sure the street sign's not in. Boom, we got the shot. <laughs> Who's the one that directed the movie God Told Me To with Andy Kaufman? I forgot what his name is. Oh, uh, Larry Cohen. Yes, okay. So I saw a documentary in him, and there's lots of movies that he made. There's one in particular. I can't remember the name of it, but it starred Fred Williamson, which is a great actor. I love him. I met him, too. He, he um, is lovely, yeah. Yeah. But there's a movie that he did with Larry Cohen, and they're he's oh, original playing, gangsters. Yeah, and they're chasing through the airport with guns, but they didn't have a permit to do it, so they're like, oh, oh, oh the original uh, Black Caesar. Yes, that's it. That's it. So I love those and, movies. And so they're he's doing it, and people are freaking out because they're like, but imagine if they did that scene now and like that, they oh, would yeah. all be arrested for terrorism, right? Like, and what you do when you're waving guns around what the, what the fuck yeah but you should see he goes and um fred williamson said the people look terrified he's good that's what we want <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he, he was probably like one of the ultimate guerrilla filmmakers he just did not care he wherever uh he didn't care if you took his movie seriously or the wrong way it is exactly kind of like the maniac cop evil dead or piranha effect you can watch it straight face or you can watch it with a campy moment in mind and we're all in the same 
uh, we all want the same thing. We're all getting the same same thing. <laughs> I, lo- I love the movie just been like Piranha. Even the the remake of Piranha was great. I love that. Yeah, movie. it was fun. It's just a fun movie. I mean, like we especially need more fun. Yeah, we need fun. Exactly. That's why people. I always hate when people say, "Well, it wasn't realistic." I'm like, "What do you go to the movies for? Escapism. You don't want to see reality all the Even time." Even the most plausible movie is going to have a plot hole that would never happen in real life, or a moment where an actor breaks character and is still in the final scene. So what what does realism even mean anymore? I mean, I see people even do it with TV shows. They'll see a Twilight Zone anthology or a Law and Order type show, and they're like, ah, that's not how I would do it. I'm like, I'm sure it isn't. That's how they do it, because they're rule breakers. And I was going to say, if you just like I said earlier, I said, well, then if you think you're so great, why don't you do something like that yourself? You don't have to, instead of putting everybody else down, say, well, let me, let that's me show why you I did this podcast. Do. I did a podcast with two other pals, still good friends with them and help them out with their projects. But it was one of those where I didn't like how it was being run. Yep. So I said, instead of me driving an hour and being pissed off, I'm going to do my own thing because I know how long this takes yep. and what I'm going to focus on and everything. And uh, I I lose the right to bitch if I'm not willing to do a good chunk of it myself too. So Man, No, exactly. And like, if, if I ever complain about something, it's something that I wouldn't didn't already do or wouldn't do. So yeah, I, I'm yeah. I have the same mentality. Like, I'm not going to sit there and judge. Uh, I actually have respect for people like you just said the grill filmmakers or the grill people the people that go out and do what they want. People have made millions doing their giant formula. Yeah, it, it it's worked for them the last twenty years. Why wouldn't they keep doing it? No, exactly. And that's actually I'm not even doing it for money anymore. I interviewed speaking of Twilight Zone. That's one of my favorite shows. Still, um, I'll put I, you down for that special. We'll do it soon. Yeah, and I well, I interviewed Ann Serling, Rod Serling. Yeah, she was a great interview. That's that's also found on the Claws Corner on my YouTube channel, or you can find it on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and Audible. <laughs> Little plug there. Whoop whoop. So before we go, because I said um, I have to get always a delight program. talking to you, my dude. I love. We're, we're gonna be doing a lot more shows. This is this is like the first, the second of many collaborations. We're getting geared up. We've just been taking exactly. a break. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's tough to find. Like usually, like I just got back from Bermuda. You're busy. Like we're always trying to find. Like oh, Bermuda. You're gonna have to tell me about that. <laughs> oh yeah, most of, I had the best time in the world. I'll definitely talk to you about that. Uh, where where can people find you? And uh, one, one more time to plug Cam Sully. Yeah. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Anchor, Podbean. Spotify, uh, you just all various platforms. And if you want, chances are you're not going to like everything we talk about, but we have something for everybody. We we have talked to all kinds of people. We've talked to some recent stuntmen and fitness instructors and indie filmmakers and scream queens. We, but we've also just talked about other stuff. Just we we've done some themed months. We had some fun for doing Indigenous and Black History Month specials this year. It's there's something for everybody. <laughs> What's the name of the show? Jacked up review show. <laughs> Jacked up review show, right? And for people, I'm sure you already know, my name is Rich Sear. You can find me on YouTube. He's the richest. Yeah. And I have several shows on there. I have The Claws Corner, which I do most of my interviews. I have Real Talk, which I do with John Bristol and guests like Cam Sully. And I have another show that no longer exists because my, unfortunately, my co host died it was a year ago next week. It, um, it's called and The Local Artist Show. So local there's something show. for everybody on that channel subscribe to it on youtube check out his iTunes. interviews guys he he gets into the nitty and gritty oh yeah thank you very much i appreciate that then you so you can no check out questions i heart radio pay, not pay i always keep saying patreon i'm not in that yet but uh we'll get there 
I want, yeah. I mean, I, I like people. Oh, people watch it for free. If they want to pay for it, I'll put it, put it on Patreon. But right now, you can find it on Amazon Music, Audible, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and I'm on several Connecticut local radio stations, such as WAPJ, WHDD, WMLV. So find me around. And uh, until then, I want to thank. Rinses everywhere. I try to be. I'm like, where's Waldo? I'm. I'm also, don't don't forget to go on Amazon and buy my book, Confessions of a Frenetic Mind. That's another thing you want, might want to check okay. out. Okay, sure. So, uh, first of all, got to thank the great editor extraordinaire, John Bristol, for always doing a great job editing the show and putting it together each and every week to make it available to all. I also need books to in the cart now. <laughs> yep, and then oh yeah, definitely check out Elman Productions. So it's he has a great. Uh, he has his own channel and he makes tons of one of the movies that it's my audience would love is called uh head it's a to take off of the evil dead movies <laughs> it's hilariously it's also scary too it's all done with puppets it's great a bunch of kids go out in the woods and just like evil dead but they're definitely making you know paying homage to all the the, the greats uh and also oh, that's good they, Joseph Timothy Quirk and Rob Bull for making the show available on, as I mentioned, several connected radio stations, as well as Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, Audible, and iHeartRadio. And lastly, but definitely not least, I need to thank you, the viewer, for always tuning in. Enjoy your day, everyone. Get classy. (laughs) That's a freak.